0: And here we are, episode six. We're keeping our promise. It is a two weekly recording schedule and it's our first episode. Woohoo! So, with me today, I have uh, first off the regular co host, very prevalent at the moment on this podcast, which of course is Hrod Ellis.
1: Good evening. How is everyone?
0: I'm, well, how are you? I'm, game away. I, I'm well. I don't think everyone else can answer. You fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope they all just sit there. Okay. Yeah, Rob, I'm, I'm all right. Actually, thanks, mate. How are you? Oh, oh, you can't answer because you're on a podcast. Um, and you've also heard some jovial giggles there from the one and only Byron, Byron Ord of Facehammer fame. How are you? fine thank you how are you doing good yeah not too bad not too bad um i actually when i added you to skype earlier you'll probably enjoy the fact that i did accidentally still type byron order um so yeah (laughs) (laughs) that was warhammer tv wasn't it that that did that
2: uh uh uh, yeah or the, the the Like the Facebook post that went up.
0: Ah, Facebook post, even better, even better. So, (laughs) so welcome onto the the podcast, mate. Um, it's been uh, you know from my my perspective, it's been a it's real good. We've had real nice conversations around it. You've been very supportive, which has been which has been really nice. So. As I said, the last episode, the first person that I wanted to get on to do these two weekly, um, sorry, two weekly monthly episodes, so that we do a two weekly schedule, uh, kind of interviewing different people. Uh, you were straight at the top of my list. Thank you very much. And how's your
1: Welsh? How's your? Never mind all that. <laughs> How's your uh, Welsh accent, Byron?
0: <laughs> oh, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> my God, that's like Ian is right here right now. <laughs> If you can put that accent on for the entire podcast, that would literally be amazing.
2: I'll put that accent on and I'll espouse awful brush care and then everything will be fine, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely,
0: definitely. He's like the anti-application technical ability person who does amazing <laughs> hobby stuff. Um, so, so,
1: yeah. I just want to say that I, I caught up with Ian at the weekend and um, I uh, – can I – give you his uh, uh, spoilers if no one's seen the film yet but his his one sentence review of the last Jedi. go for it well matt or rob yeah your name's rob yeah well rob i didn't like the bit where luke thought himself to death (laughs) is that it (laughs) that was it
0: um, Solid. For, for the listeners' enjoyment as well, um, you also put a photo of Ian in one of our group chats as well, and he was wearing a very nice all over black, um, like almost like it may as well have been a one piece tracksuit. So he was. It pretty uh, much was. He was rocking the 1990s. Extremely t-
1: hungover as well. It was really funny.
0: Do you have like the cappers on as well? Do you have like the poppers down the side of the legs?
1: <laughs> no, not quite. Although that is still a fa- an essential fashion accessory in Neath, where he lives.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm kind of, I kind of miss kappa slappers, you know, you, <laughs> you kind of knew where you were. <laughs> you knew if you're a little bit desperate, find a girl with some kappa tracksuit bottoms on with the poppers all the way down the side of the leg, you're pretty much going to get a go on her.
2: Pretty, pretty yeah. guarantee. I heard that they're coming back, actually. oh, Brilliant. Well, no, I'm not married yeah. now, so actually less, less good. Well, that's one more fancy for you to be able to play out in your in your own private time, then, isn't it, Matt?
0: Oh, I wonder if that is a thing. I might have a look afterwards. I wonder if it's a specific <laughs> fetish, because I know Chav, I know Chav's quite popular, but I do wonder if Kappa Slapper is a is a particular one. Uh, oh, listeners, feel free to research that and let us know. Um, I'll do my own personal <laughs> research after this episode of the podcast.
2: We'll come up with a nice hashtag for you, and then you can get a nasty surprise. Yeah, hashtags. Be careful with those.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) and children as well. Uh, Although we do have an explicit tag already on iTunes, so whatever gives a fuck. Um, (laughs) And I'm not going to change that because I want to be explicit. That's not a problem. Anyway, right, so we're here to talk about and kind of do a hobby. Interview is probably kind of the right word, but not quite. It's kind of more about you just sharing what goes on in your hobby brain uh, (laughs) with everyone else who decides to download this and have a listen. Um so usually about
2: bit, half as much as goes on in Rob's. <laughs>
0: oh, it's, I yeah. You know when you lay there in bed at night and you just go, you kind of slightly can't go to sleep because you're just thinking of different things you could do hobby-wise. True yeah. happens to all of us. I just imagine that's what Rob's brain's like all the time. Do you Pretty have like much. do you have conversations with people at work and you just you're you're talking, but in your head you're just thinking about how you can take Fulgrim's head turn it upside down and sideways, <laughs> and you could turn it into the, the um, I don't know, the arsehole on an arachnorock rock that shoots <laughs> out cobwebs automatically or something. That's
2: my uh, that's my next conversion. I was going <laughs> to say, you guys Byron actually sent me
1: wind. a picture of, uh, of an arachnid rock. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, have you guys read it. The Name of the Wind? Um, no. Yes, Oh, uh, it's amazing. So in that, Quoth can split his mind into different sections to be able to do bindings, which is essentially like magic. Yeah. And I just imagine Rob's Rob's building up steadily until he can do a nine-level binding. And when he can do that, he'll just be converting like three-foot-high dragons <laughs> with 70 arms. It'd be yeah. amazing.
0: Well, also interestingly on that note, something I said today is um, for those who have been seen, Chris has put out photos of his... Um, Fetty, which we mentioned, our uh, from Ember to Inferno <laughs> campaign, Firestorm, which we'll play in our first game on Thursday, which is super exciting. Chris has done some uh, Phoenix Temple. There's a really nice um, Chris Tomlin paint scheme on some Phoenix Guard and an Anointed.
2: Uh, Looks super sexy. Yeah, they're lush. Yeah. Um, but they're lovely. He's playing them down too much. They look. Christmas, fuck. Yeah, they look lovely.
0: He always does that. He, he likes the extra little bit of attention. Um, Self deprecating. Uh, bit like a Rob. Um, <clears throat> but I'm going to get the guys on individually, kind of while we're doing the campaign, just every now and again to do the odd episode to record, talk about, you know, the ideas behind their armies, kind of what they're doing, what the plans are going forward. So those will be bonus episodes, essentially. Uh, but Aaron, of course, Aaron's like, well, what really can I say? Because all I've done is kind of convert some undead guys up. And, you know, you've got Robert Ellis on the Master of Conversions. I said, well, you have to put it in – In, you in, need to do a comparison, really. In the time that you've converted, painted uh, 400 points worth of death models, you, you, Rob's kind of done a sword. Um, so <laughs> It's a glaive. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, a glaive. Sorry. So application is, you know, you, you can't always directly compare yourself um, – Two other people. I've done a bit of bass as well. Uh, yeah, you've done loads, Rob. Um, you just not done. Uh, you're not kind of I finished it... anything. Yeah, if it was a tick box exercise, you ain't ticking no boxes. <laughs> so that's something else we'll be doing going forward. So those will be purely bonus. Oh, Mr.
1: Helson's safety. Oh yeah, there we go.
0: <laughs> All right, fucking hell. <laughs> Anyway, oh yeah, I've got promotion at work. Yeah, if you guys want to know, I've got promotion at work now. The health and safety officer. Great. So now, I think that was only announced yesterday. Oh no, it was announced this morning. I've been called health and safety <laughs> wanker four times. So <laughs> feel free to jump. feel free to jump in on that one. Um, so the usual do you get a sexy
2: sheila that goes in the dark. A se- what a sexy sheila or I a jacket.
0: <laughs> I, I, I do, but that's more for the fire marshal role, of which I do have a very dashing yellow helmet as well so uh, amazing obviously that will be worn at all times Um, is that why you got the no that was something to do with other helmets um (laughs) anyway right
2: there way before me
0: usual bits and bobs um as always uh, sponsored by Mercia miniatures um at the moment guys definitely recommend you take a quick look if you want your death fix because at the moment it's all malign portents it's all about the rise and the gash um, so, the website, as always, there are lovely sponsors, which is uh, it's dash Miniatures, M I E R C E Miniatures dot com. Um, their death stuff is very nice. It's very classical death, um, but they've got some particularly good kind of Wraith, Khan Wraith kind of characters. And, um, you know, if you want a bit of variation to your skeleton units, they do things like for some very, very nice skeleton archers. So, those are little highlights at the moment. If you want to take a little peek, and seeing as we've got the very own, well, the owning person in control of Element Games, you can go on our little links to Element Games and buy stuff from them. I'm sure Byron will be happy with that as well, um, and we get yeah. a little we get a little tickle back for that, which we, you know, we will eventually get some hobby bits and bobs. And maybe we'll pick up all these awesome GW tools that everyone's raving about, and you know, do some reviews. That's something we just mentioned off air. So, yeah, you know, if you ever want to support the podcast, do just follow those little links when all those lovely new releases are coming out, and we get we get a little kickback from
2: that. So it's always always appreciated. Keeps me in nerglings as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, Rob, um, you can't have anything because you've, uh, you know, you've got some good news. So you need to focus all your time on a new life. So you're not allowed any treats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yay! So, and also, you're working on your fucking balaclava. So it's going to take you what three months more till you get it under. I'm, I'm, I'm
1: looking forward to having my garage conversion. That'd be cool.
0: Big, big hobby news. Someone else is doing yeah. some conversions for you.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Got, um, planned out, bought, uh, planned out the nursery yesterday as well, where all the bits and bobs are going to go. So, looking forward to that.
0: What if you're a little BellaCore?
1: No, no, for my baby. Oh right, my sorry. little girl. I'm going to have a little be having a little girl. Matt I found out. So
2: yeah,
0: bar? Uh, no, I'm so happy to hear we chatted so much shit so far. Chris actually said, so Chris from the Black Sun last, last episode, you know what, I think you kind of come down as the the informative um, side of the you know the gauge in regards to podcasting. So I, I'll, I'll tell you that, I always wanted it to be entertaining. So I always felt the Black Sun, which was on, was always entertaining. That was its key feature. Um, yeah, I think we've gone more towards the random ramblings and bullshit. So... I think I'm gonna attribute that to you, Byron, really, to be honest, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for that. So come on then, Byron. Let's have a little bit about you. Obviously, I really want to know about you know, what's your what's your little journey? What's been your your hobby history? What's what's a bit of background on Byron Ord?
2: Okay, so um I'll T L D R this. Uh but there is an entire, if people really want to go back and, and listen to something slightly historical, but it's still relevant because it's all about painting, and it's a two-hour answer to this question. <laughs> um, Face Hammer has a My Hobby Journey episode, yep. which was actually a pretty good one, I think. Um, so uh, we can link that in the show notes or whatever. But to condense it, I, through like a couple of key influences if we're gonna talk like from a painting perspective because mm-hmm. again this is this is what this show is about um i arrived at what i would decide to be my style uh so i kind of started off with three key influences which was uh russ and his dipping guides actually he was my hero oh
0: right really okay didn't
2: know that. S- still still is uh yeah i chatted to him like like he was one of the first people who interacted with me on a forum and gave me feedback that was helpful and constructive. Like way, 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 way back when, before I even knew what podcasts were, like years and years ago, we're talking about here now. Yeah. Um, I followed his, uh, he did some Toon King stuff. I mm-hmm. followed his, his guides for that. And that was a really big influence Um at the same time, I so I kind of I dipped stuff for about like six or seven months. I literally all I did was just I did things to models and then dipped them.
0: I think there was um, there was quite a few people in that kind of phase. I know I was as well.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. It was. Um, I think probably you could call it like like it's around the time of Games Workshops washes being uh, revitalised and people were just obsessed with the idea of doing something like finishing it, bunny ears with a brush, and then uh covering it in this thing and then it being done. Yeah. Uh, so that was a massive influence to what I did. And he spoke about using brighter colours underneath and stuff like that. Um and, and kind of making things pop. Then there was a an amazing, amazing tutorial uh by Tom Woods who goes by Dreadboy On Forum. I'm not sure if he's a painter anymore, but he did a Thunder Tusk tutorial and in that he used pre-spraying yeah. uh, from from rattle cans, not from an airbrush. Um and um and then he did heavy washing and then dry brushing on top of it. Um, and so they were the kind of the, the two uh, normal painters. I say normal, they're both very, very talented uh, influences. And then I had some high-end influence from the Miniature Mentor videos, um, which I subscribed to pretty mm-hmm. early on. <laughs> and, um, and I watched those, and they were way, way, way over my head, like completely over my head, way above my level at the time. I was trying to improve the paint in single figures, but what what kind of happened is if you take these three threads, um, they kind of like pull together and through um, I commissioned painted for a bit and stuff like that. And when you make something your job, you have to be efficient and you have to condense things and you have to skip out steps that aren't necessary and stuff like this. Um, I kind of pulled from these three spheres of influence and ended up with what I would regard as my painting style. And for a long time, that was using heavy heavy transparency in washes but i would make my washes myself so i move beyond dip um and uh i like people always complained when they asked okay so so like what was your recipe and it'd be a load of normal normal paints not very mixed at all yeah and then the wash would have about four different things in it including mediums and like bits of actual paint Mm -hmm. um and thinner and stuff like that and people would always complain by how how complex it was but i I kind of developed the ability to have a, a shorthand in my head um for how to make a like a warm purple wash or a cold green wash or a whatever or whatever um and i produced a a demon army like that so before that i produced a, a fancy put hundreds of hours into an ogre army um i produced a, a demon army in this kind of new way using airbrushing as well and um that for for a fair while i think would have been regarded as as my style and the way that i did things so i painted incredibly fast yeah which is which is pretty ironic now given where my current army's at but
0: um i mean kind that, of taking something you've mentioned there is i think talking about the the washes and like you're saying about them being overly complicated um if you actually take yeah. a step back and you look at the the amount of work that a wash can do for you when you're painting a model it's mental yeah, I think it is kind of worth considering that because we do get so used to um, the GW and the Army Painter um, inks um, that, you know, we just go, that's about the right colour, I'll whack that on and give it a go. But if you do, and it is it is a skill and it's worth trying out, uh, most certainly experiment with it, um, you can get some fantastic differences and and, and effects and models can look more or less painted um by the uh, you know by applying an appropriate wash that's the right color so yeah I, I think that's definitely something worth worth taking away from what you've just said there
2: should i should i explain like a, a couple of the ways i went about doing it mm-hmm. should i go into that definitely so um for example a lot of people at the time were obsessed with devlin mud which <laughs> is now called uh, what's it called now
0: Acrax Earthshade.
2: That's the one. And it's not so, so. Um, it is no it's definitely not. And I'd actually say the old the but if you want something that that's like the old Games Workshop washes, go and buy the Army Painter washes because they're yep. pretty much the same thing and they're fantastic for yeah. that use. The new Games Workshop washes are, or shades now are actually a bit more technical than they used to be and you can't just put them on with a spade and expect them to do magic on your models in quite the way that you used to be able to. Um, they don't have the same finish or viscosity um, as, as the original lot did, uh, in my opinion. No, nope, totally but, um, agree.
0: Totally agree
2: so I, um, a lot of people using devil and mud um, uh, and I'll equate this to army paint army paint I've got soft tone which is uh, like sepia mm-hmm. or, or sepia, like beigey um, dark tone sorry strong tone which was the devil mud equivalent which is the muddy one and then dark tone which is not black black but it is it is dark and it will do a bit of black lining on your models so one of the first things i realized was that rather than covering the entire thing in the middle of these two colors i could take the soft one and i would use that as kind of the body or the base of my wash um and and that that would be that that's like my 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 medium like the the plasma of the wash if you will That, that carries whatever else is coming in with it and then rather than taking the middle out of those three i would choose the lightest one and the darkest one and i put a bit of the darkest one in to get black lining in the recesses but only a little and then that would allow me to have the soft one kind of tint more gently the rest of the model so you got this effect where you could get two types of wash in one go um and i figured out also if you put a little a few drops of airbrush thinner in it um and uh, that would make it run into the recesses more. And if you were to add glaze medium in, in it, uh, the Vallejo one, uh, whenever I'm talking about medium, I'll talk about the Vallejo one because that's what I'm, I know and I'm used to. Um, if you put that in, then the more of that is in, a couple of things happen. The longer your wash takes to dry, which can be very irritating depending on how, how thick or thin it is. Uh, but also that kind of, filter effect is less and less so if you were to cover a large area of that or fur with that and it's got a fair bit of glazing in and a bit of thinner what will happen is that dark tone would seep to the recesses um, and you get this uh, like light black lining effect Um, but the the raised areas the pointy bits would barely have anything on them at all because you've got a more transparent wash on the whole so things Mm -hmm. take a bit longer to dry but you could get far more utility out of one mix so i was putting more time into thinking about about the washes while they were in my palette but then i was just bushing them all over the entire model because i'd, I'd put in the work in my head beforehand rather than doing three stages of washes or doing like a dark wash in a recess and then a this and a that um i also found out that if you put glaze medium in because it gives you extended drying time it gives you the ability to get like a cotton bud q-tip if you're American. Um, <laughs> or a, uh, a microfiber cloth and put it over your thumb or something like that. And you can gently brush that on the raised areas and it will pull your wash off. I'm making hand gestures here while I'm saying this. It's very unhelpful on a podcast. But it'll, um, it'll pull that wash off. And so you can get a wash that does an all-over uh, kind of yieldy sepia tint. In the recesses, it'll do a bit of dark black lining. And then on the raised areas, you can just remove it pretty much all together and, and get a, a highlight out of your wash. So um, I was trying to think. It's really interesting. Yeah, so.
0: I don't think I've ever. I've I've got to be honest. I've never in a million years have I have I even right. considered using essentially one wash to give you different effects and textures and different utility out of one wash. So I'd never. I've, I'm literally sat here going, "Shit, I need to try this now." <laughs> like I've always wash. <laughs> Is it
2: all making sense?
0: Yeah, but I've never I've never kind of considered that the components of the wash. Mixed together will still almost take, you know, keep their initial, their kind of initial attribute that you were looking for when you mix and apply. So that's wow, that's something I really, really definitely am going to try.
2: One of my key beliefs in painting is to try and be, I mean, I'm getting worse and worse at this because of how much I love painting turquoise and spending hours on it on cloaks, but um, is to put in like work smart not hard yes and i think people are very very remiss um in general like people in hobby whether they're seeing it as a chore or they're not they're they're awful or maybe they're just not as horribly horribly obsessive as i am about productivity but they're um they're awful for putting just like just bashing themselves against a problem or not even realizing there's a problem and and a lot of that is not and taking 5 minutes before you even begin and thinking like what if i do this what if i try that why does this do what it does um and so that's that's the type of thing that i, I try to do so i hadn't even got into color theory or anything but i was kind of playing uh i'm not sure chemically sounds a bit pretentious but i was playing with the makeup of washes um to try and see what i could get out of just one application um, and all of this was kind of geared towards speed painting but it really really helped him form stuff years down the line and um and, and stuff to do with glazing and stuff like that mm-hmm. in the future so um i realized you could put in inks to these washes um we'll probably touch on paint ranges a bit later but you could put in very vibrant inks to these washes and then you get like this this mega instagram filter of vibrancy um that you can put all over a model to, to kind of Pull it up, kicking and screaming into the the uh, the spectrum of like color saturation and stuff like that. Um, but equally, if you've got a really vibrant wash and then you remove it off the the raised bits or something, then you get a more stark highlight. So, if you think of um something blobby, uh like like a tyranid uh, sack, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. this is broken down, hasn't nice. it? A tyranid sack, or like uh even like a zombie's bald head, yep. or um. Uh, like the uh, another sackrack sacks uh, sacks everywhere, um Arachnock with this ability, crazy. yeah, with this, I love that model, yeah. um with this ability to kind of go in and then just spooge a bit off, um you can get like you can get really stark highlights, you can get really gentle highlights, um et cetera et cetera, so um yeah, I think it's just like dry brushing, which again we'll touch on, I think mm-hmm. people are not guilty, people shouldn 't feel guilty about not doing stuff, but it's very easy to just skip over something and see it as a single use utility piece when actually it could do like 50,000 things and it could do them all at once or you could do them in stages or or whatever. Um, but if, if people wanna see how I use my washes in the type of mixes I made, uh, bottom right hand corner of uh, any page on element in the footer, there's a link to the painting tutorials and any of my demons in there are a pretty good uh, kind of illustration of how to combine washes with pre-shading and airbrushing and dry brushing in some situations to achieve slightly weird effects.
0: See, I'm actually I fully imagine that um, Rob is sat frantically scribbling away notes that's going to help no. him get his conversions a la Bellacore painted as fast as possible.
1: <laughs> well, I've been funny to say that. I actually, uh, it's probably the first places I went to in looking for sort of um, Painting tutorials, because I, when I first met Byron, uh, uh, I think it was up the first blackout. Um, yeah. The, uh, that he had some tutorials up on the Element Games website, and some I, I use, and I've still got bottled up a lot of the um, uh, wash mixes that he's suggested on there, so uh, where he, you put in, you know, a dash of actual paint, a couple of blobs of violets, and... Wash, you know, some medium and, and all the rest of it. I actually used those on the um, on the steeds of Slinesh for my Hellstriders, uh, and I remember washing them, and it did exactly what you said. It shaded, it gave a bit of tint to the to the midtone, shaded the recesses quite vividly, and then left, you know, kind of almost highlighted themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, by 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 running into crevices more than hanging on the top of raised areas. It's actually quite um. Yeah, made them very quick to do. The wore in my heart, rub.
0: Well, I didn't finish them, because I didn't finish any <laughs> um, brilliant.
1: Yeah, but they, 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 for, for something that's just been base-coated and, you know, washed, which is what, you, obviously, you guys are alluding to, which a lot of people sort of did with the dipping kind of thing and all the rest of it, they, um, it works a lot better than had I just washed them with, say, you know, a, a full mix of Druchi violet or or whatever you know so yeah it's uh it's there's definitely something and and given the size of um you know use a similar sort of mix and breakdown on the forest dragon because obviously that's quite a big area and um i probably intend to use similar sort of things as um on on Bellacore and on on, uh, egrim's dragon as well it's a lot of shading a lot of glazing rather than sort of blending as much i think gw have gotten into the habit of doing that and they're on the Duncan tutorials, I'm well, using using washes to blend rather than
2: blending. Yeah. if that makes it's sense. Because you can you can I think from their perspective, especially the app and the stuff, you can say do this step four times with this one paint, and yeah. you will get this effect, and it works yeah. really 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 well. Um, Russ is Nurgle. He followed GW tutorials on, them, and they're beautiful. Um, but that's that kind of. Uh, goes back to what I was saying about their their washes, shades being more technical these days and having a more varied application than just putting on with a spade and, mm-hmm. and kind of mass output in armies.
0: Yeah, and it's it's very much something we've we've kind of been talking a lot in our chats, um, our little WhatsApp chats at the moment is it's less about... I I always consider myself what I call a technical painter, so I learn a technique. So not technical application, but I learn a technique, and that's how I paint. But actually, I've realised, and something you very much hit on, is that it's actually the application of that technique, which is where it really starts to kind of push the skill levels. Um, and you, you mentioned about the, the painting tutorials, which I've... whether well, they not just painting, but hobby tutorials, um, that you've got on the Element Games website. And interestingly, it was actually... One of your tutorials, I don't know where you hosted it, possibly Drucci.net if you were on there, or maybe the old Warhammer forum, but it was the How to Sculpt Scale Mail tutorial that you did, and I think that's
2: my
0: my first Byron experience, because I was looking to do it in my dark house, and Chris guided me to that so it's weird. <laughs> from that you went on to start element games to i'd never met you before and you stayed at my house for the first blackout and that's it we're now mates yeah. it's crazy you think it, that came from a online tutorial really yeah it's mad
2: i um i had a skype with russ because he was thinking of buying an airbrush um that was the fit, like uh, I'd met him at one event like three years previously or two years previously or something like that. And he, he wanted some advice. And I said, well, it's probably just easier if we have a call. Mm-hmm. I had one Skype with him. And um, like a, like a, <laughs> I mentioned, like, he is my hero. He was my hero. He still is my hero. But I was just like, oh, God, like, I was, it's in the beginnings of the business. I just thought, crap, I've just, like, bored that guy shitless for however long. She so he was like, oh, God, we've we've been on the, on the fame for ages. I've got to go. Um, and then, like, two months later, it was like, you know, if you ever want to uh, if you ever want to chat about hobby again, I really enjoyed that talk, and I was just like, awesome. um So yeah, that's it's nice. I do love that about this hobby. Mm. You just you, like you can meet people via something and know that you're probably going to have a vast amount of common ground with them, and there's a decent chance they're going to turn out not to be a knobhead.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Generally speaking, unfortunately, I've ended up with the right pair of knobheads in the. <laughs> in the <laughs> Uh, you know these two idiots <laughs> podcasting, yeah, yeah. and I was the only one that was you know willing to take on this responsibility. <laughs>
1: um, you, do, you, do, you do know Jen pays us twenty
0: quid a month. <laughs>
1: <doesn't> <laughs> you? She's got a direct debit set up, got a standing order.
0: Brilliant! That'd be amazing if it was true kind of hope it is um so talking about kind of we kind of mentioned on your background that's really really interesting um the way that you talk about the kind of the the washers so That that's a that's a big takeaway for me so i hope people appreciate that as well um is so putting kind of more the the painting and the hobby per se side obviously we're a podcast that focuses on age of Sigma. So where obviously a lot of us came from eighth edition um so moving away from eighth edition and moving over to AOS what was your what was your transition what was the kind of the initial appeal for you of this brand new blank
2: canvas um well I like it was a very lumpy transition so um it was as, a rocky as what, road yeah yeah as as was the, the well just, just the entire transition in general from a games workshop perspective and from a customer perspective from a seller's perspective okay. um so i wasn't and, and none of us i think it's probably fair to say that none of the guys on the podcast because we we're podcasting pre and post and during mm. uh this transition none of us were uh, like we were all a bit like where's this going like the community had to step up and provide points which it did amazingly um and stuff like this. I, I didn't really know what's going on. I had an elf army, uh, which has kind of had a resurgence in recent months. Um, just a bit. That had, just a bit. <laughs> that, that had kicking about. And um, I'd basically, I just signed up to Blood and Glory. I'd love to say something more profound than that, but I signed up to Blood and Glory and thought, well, well fuck it, I'll stop pissing and moaning, and I will, um, I will go to an event, because Blood and Glory is one of my favourite events. Um... And I always have a great time there, and it 's got a nice casual feel so having never played a game at all, I took my elves and I rebased them and it's a It was a very painful process, but I actually really, really enjoy rebasing because it feels like you get a new army for almost free
0: well as uh, as as not Rob so as Ian says it 's converting you 're converting <laughs> from yeah. A to to sigma. <laughs>
2: A hundred percent depends how much effort you put in, doesn't it? But I would, uh, I definitely agree with that under some circumstances. Like I spent longer on some of my bases than I have on building the models that go on top of them. That's for sure. Um, so I, I took my very, very heavily converted basing on my uh, my old elf army because they were under like arches and there was this kind of like uh, twilight guard theme going on. Um, the kind of the army was influenced by various bits of Lord of the Rings, so like the the rangers. And the bit, okay. oh, he, the bit at the end of, uh, I think it's the second film, where they're um, they're kind of hiding under all these arches and running around, and they're let they're let to go on their quest. Um, Faramir lets them go, I think. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I get so it. The, it's very cool. It's a very underrated fight scene as well
2: yeah absolutely it's one of my favorite bits of the film and um I, things like that tend to stick with me and when I was doing these arches and like the little the bridges and stuff in it um that's that's the type of thing I had going on in my mind and that entire film is filtered its palette is is incredible like it's it's either in greens or blues or, or be there dark or cold or whatever. Um, so I had things like that in my head. I'd worked on this basing all this time and then I had to rip my models off it and I I, I bitched and moaned but actually, I love basing, like I love building bases. Yeah. You probably noticed by looking at my armies, because I like I will procrast. If I'm going to procrastinate, I will do it by building bases. And if I've had a break from the hobby, I will warm myself up, bunny ears, by building bases, because right. okay. I'm not going to step in and start trying to blend on a cloak, because I will fuck it up if I don't have my eye in. So I, whenever I take a break, which I do fairly frequently, when I come back, I will start by probably building about 30 or 40 bases of green stuff and sight. Um, so I did that, um, rushed out an army, and went to Blood and Glory. Had my first game against the ever lovely, now uh, far more famous than he used to be, Martin Morin <laughs> of uh, of Warhammer Community. Uh, admitted that I never played before and I didn't have a clue what was going on. Not like not like I'd read the rules of it, but I hadn't even like I hadn't glanced at anything to do with how the game worked, like nothing whatsoever. So he said he was going to give me a demo game, right? And that enough. was my first game really enjoyed it had a had a lot of fun it was a uh steep learning curve and um i just i loved the openness and flexibility of the armies and of course it didn't have it wasn't supported as like as properly by rules and army books and all of this then but i uh i could definitely see the appeal of things on round bases and having more options and it's nice to give my army a new lease of life so it kind of there wasn't an overarching love for the game or anything like that i just thought well you you probably will like it so commit to something and i committed to an event and and that was it really
0: and how did that did that have an immediate impact on kind of your uptake um going forward Were you like right literally straight away pumped i want to get this army done i want to make it a decent force on the tabletop I want to make it all you know as co- coherent kind of finish it I don't know what your what your thoughts were once you'd I don't know what caught the a- AOS bug i guess
2: Well, i um i really liked how the models looked and i wanted to i wanted to add more to my army mm-hmm. um like the gaming wasn't of any consideration whatsoever really cuz i knew i was i still didn't understand <laughs> the game enough to even think about what was going to be good to be honest um it's so only four
0: pages of rules mate Come on. yeah i know i've no, only got a
2: very very there's little the, narrow mind there's,
0: there's, there's no real nuances to aos you know that's what everyone, everyone <laughs> tell you it's four pages of rules mate Just put your models on the board and roll some dice it's a kid's game
2: well that explains a lot about my last few months <laughs> um, <laughs> but um yeah, so I, uh, I didn't didn't quite know what was going on with the rules, but I wanted my army to look nice, and there was the painting masters as well, I wanted it okay. to look good for that. Yeah. Um, so kind of I went through that process, and at the same time, I thought, right, well, you've you've never really put hours and hours and hours into seeing what you can do across an entire army. Like, well, not for a while, I hadn't at least. So all I did then was I just blended cloaks for about a year. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. That's basically what you did, yeah. Uh, That's like, and that's reductive, uh, and it's like slightly hyperbolic, but it is, in essence, entirely true. So the single thing I have done technically ever within my eight, nine years of this hobby to inform myself the most is blending those cloaks. Mm. I learned so much doing that. So, for example, I tried to do non-metallic metal like two or three times before... um, Yeah, I know. Before sitting down doing these cloaks, I just couldn't get it. I couldn't understand it. It looked like crappy dry brushing whenever I tried it, and I would I would be genuinely like disheartened and disappointed at myself. Um, and then I sat down and I painted 50 cloaks, and I tried my I tried to do uh, like, I thought, well, screw it, I'll give it another go. My brush control might have got a bit better. Mm-hmm. And then um, I sat down and I painted my Prince Alpha model that I use as my lawmaster now, and um, I, I I'm not very good at thinking up my own stuff, so I had a, a big version of the model in non-metallic metal. It was gold, uh, not silver, but it didn't matter. From Cool Mini on my screen, oh, I was really? copying that. I was copying that is um, in where to place the highlights because I still find that very, very difficult. Um, I like to have I like to have things to copy um, or pull influence from or whatever. How you want to put it, um, and I just realised that actually I could. I could choose where to put highlights better. That sounds like a a small thing, but putting highlights um, somewhere that isn't an edge, or kind of pushing them towards the edge, or or stuff like that is. That's all I've done on those cloaks while I've been uh, glazing them up, glazing them down, pulling it to an edge highlight, like carefully diluting my paint, all that stuff, Um, and that kind of those cloaks. I'd say uh, the. They're largely responsible for how I view high-end painting to this very day because they were the beginning of me learning about push and pull, uh, which is all to do with where you where you lift off with your brush at the end and and leaving that little dot of paint. It's the opposite from drawing with a pencil, where you lift off. It's the lightest point. When you lift off with a brush, it's the darkest point. Um, I learned about that doing them. I learned about transparency. I learned about dilution. Um, I learned about viscosity. I started using different brands more um different paint brands and um I also realized how important it is to um kind of color th- there's one approach to color theory which is to do it and be very well informed and there's another approach which is just to use one color and then you can't go wrong and, <laughs> <that's->
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> and um and i um I did that, and everything was just turquoise absolutely everything was turquoise and if it wasn't turquoise it was from the it was in the grayscale black to white spectrum or silver which isn't a color um and that kind of i, I became more aware of that stuff as i as i went through on that army so just painting cloaks again and again and again was kind of <laughs> kind of the most important thing i've ever done in painting i guess
0: it's it's interesting that actually again i've um I've actually saved a photo of some work somebody's done specifically just painting a cloak um, on Twitter because I, I keep doing this every now and again. It's a new thing where I save specific elements of, of models that I really like to initially try and duplicate it. So that's something you're saying about the cloaks. is actually something that I want to work on and it's something that I've not been happy with with my zinch I've been working on for the Firestorm campaign. So that that's great to hear. <laughs> that's how you've got to this, uh, you know... Excellent level of um, a, a painting, um, you know, with the blended coats that you do. I'm going to start that little journey myself, hopefully over the next next few mm-hmm. months. So
2: that's copying Cu- that. is so so important.
0: Yeah, and that, that's that's what I want to do. Once I can get it looking like that, then I can start playing with it and find my find my own way. And as you say, kind of refine the process. No, that's yeah re- really interesting stuff. And again, I can imagine Rob just furiously um, writing down notes. <laughs> Um, so it's, it's funny. Um,
1: what, it's, it's funny what you mention about copying stuff because again, <clears throat> excuse me, just uh, listening to that um, the episode of Two P's where they had Tommy Saul on, yeah. and he, he he basically they're sort of saying, you know, how did you get to the level that you're at? And actually, and he probably won't mind me saying because it's out there in the public domain. But if you look at his cool mini or not profile, like it's like really really good, really really good, really really, really good. And then in the space of about six months his stuff just goes stratospheric in quality. Hmm. And it, he, all he said in, in the thing was he just copied. Yeah. He got like a, a Darren Latham picture up or a Joe, whatever his surname is, picture up and just copied it. And by copying it, you kind of learn by osmosis. Do you know what I mean? You learn the techniques because you have to, because you're copying it. Definitely. And if you, you, if can't... you, if you don't end up using the same techniques to resi- to... Achieve the same result then who cares do you know what I mean because you've achieved the same result doesn't matter with
2: yeah. the technique i think you've got to think of it i mean i've had a lesson from tommy and it was incredible and it took um it took a year and a half probably for some of the things he said to really land properly but um he's 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 very very like he is probably one of the most just do this painters you will ever have i don't mean that in a in a he gives bad advice way i mean he's just very very straightforward and for someone who's so incredibly accomplished it's always refreshing to um to hear him bring it like that but one thing that someone said to me and i always think back on is like if you think if you're going to learn how to draw figures uh you go to like life drawing classes you get little wooden dollies you position them and all that that's copying i mean it's learning But it is copying, and you do that, and you copy, and you copy, and you copy, and you copy, and you copy until one one day you're like, I think I can draw a person that won't look like a llama, and it's just it's gone in at a level um, that something will only go in at if you're doing it. And people, I think people don't view painting in the right light a lot of the time. Like they they can view it like learning an instrument or whatever, but like people people just don't apply the same logic having lessons. Uh, taking yeah. tutorials, taking time to uh, learn a thing rather than to output a model. Um, all that stuff, I think, is, um, is super important. I mean, something else. Sorry, go on,
0: Matt. I was going to say all credit to GW for putting out the Duncan videos. You know, I know yeah. that my painting journey has always been... Um, I used to actually... One of my favourite publications that GW ever used to put out was the Fanatic magazines because they would have very in-depth painting tutorials of this is a bounty hunter this is exactly how i painted the wood grain effect on his holster you know on this gun you know it it was that level and i just went right that's it that's how i'm going to paint wood now going forward yeah and obviously you change and you refine that and you go oh actually i could do this or i could use this this wash differently what if i use this color instead of this color what if it went darker or lighter but that is how we you know that's how we work and if actually you think about it most painters who are GW hobbyists, we've been painting from White Dwarf for a long time because that's all there was. White Dwarf was how yeah, we painted I've, miniatures. You 100%.
2: Know, it's I a got all the pages with post-its on them in old White dwarf somewhere in my parents' house.
1: Yeah. Also, one other thing that you mentioned is that it's, um, and it's, 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 it's... It's kind of true, but it depends on where you find your inspiration, but it's, um, it's quite a young craft. As in, like I think you used to like like basket tapestry. weaving, yeah. Like has been basket weaving or tapestry. People have been doing it for thousands of years. People have only been doing miniature painting. I mean, obviously, you could probably go back to you know people whittling out models and you know painting. You know, people like the um, you know, like the little houses that people's nans collect and stuff, and like the yeah. You know, like the the, ball- the sort of the porcelain figures that you see in ju- in jewellery shops and stuff. Do you know what I mean? And um, a friend, of, actually, a friend of uh, of mine that I used used to work with, his mum paints. They're called like gogs or something. They're like um, like gollywogs. Big... He paints gollywogs. No, 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 no. They're <laughs> like they're, they're like, they're, they're like um, you know, like um, what those really annoying plastic models that you get with all fake like pop they... All these things with the big eyes and that. that finals. Weird. Yeah. So they're kind of like that, but for, like, they're sculpted, they're like caricatures of, of like, sports people and stuff. Right. And, um, like, um, people collect them, and you get them all, all different sports. So, you know, it's very popular in Wales because a lot of rugby rugby players and stuff. Um, but they're all hand-painted, and, like, the skin tones are, are perfect, and, you know, there's, like, you know, even, like, the eyes and the irises are painted, and... You look at some of it, and it's it's really. I mean, there's some really really good techniques there, and looking at sort that's of inspiration not, that's for like... other things is you know it's not just it's not just white dwarf, is it? It's not just you know like historical paint. Like the, the um, what's that show? They they hold it down in Folkestone, where I used to live. It's like um, it's like a painting show. That's it's kind of like a Crystal Brush, but it's the UK one. But it's all um, like it's like open, so. Or like, what am I thinking? of Like army stuff, like tanks and planes and boats and like busts of pirates and sort of spacemen and, and all, all different type and like um, like pop culture stuff and wargaming stuff. Um, there was that scratch built thing that guy did with the Wizard of Oz. I don't know if you've seen that. Nope. That's It's, yeah, I've seen it's completely one. yeah. Um, that was in Crystal Brush, I think um and that that was down there and you know that's in the south coast of england that was held and of people came worldwide and there's loads of different inspiration and it's just where you find It's everywhere it. isn't it it's, yeah yeah, it's mental
2: well, you can get you can have pictures up of anything on your laptop like the internet is an amazing tool if you want to have pictures of a roman helmet that's got light bouncing off it in the right yeah. way or you want to take a picture of your model after it's been black undercoated, I do this quite frequently for an MM. Um, hold it under my lamp until I'm happy with where the light's reflecting off it. Take a picture on your phone. Like most smartphones now, you can posterize your image. You posterize it, posterize it again, posterize it again. That image has only now got five colors on it. That is your highest highlight, your darkest shade, your mid and one color um, between your midtone and your highlight and your midtone and your darkest tone. And you can pretty much do that to paint my numbers on a model. Um, Very good idea. I like that. You can find stuff anywhere. That's how I did... um, I've got... I am. am. I've got... um, I've put on my old phone, I've got a picture of the first... um, You can use it for true metallic metal, non-metallic metal, but I've got a picture of me doing that on a Stormcast and then placing my highlights exactly where they were. And it's one of the first times that I, without looking at someone else's stuff I was copying my own thing but without looking at someone else's stuff I managed to successfully place highlights for an MM
0: Awesome, yeah great, great tidbits there again and something um, actually, I'm, screw it, I'm going to announce it on this episode, why not, I, I've been holding off on this long enough, something you mentioned back then is the Painting Masters um, yep. which I believe we both attended Rob, were you there for that as well? I don't think you, you weren't in that league back then were you? <laughs>
1: It just, no, I am. Um, silence. No, I, silence.
0: I mean, I've, silence.
1: I've only, I, I've only like, that, that mixed order list that I've been knocking about. S- it's the first time you've ever fully painted, so no.
0: So, anyway, so for those who don't know, basically the Painting Masters, the idea was that there was a painting rankings, same as you get with your gaming rankings. You got points, depending on whether you won painting trophies. You even got points just for um, being nominated at events. Bigger the event, the more points you got. Uh, and then in January, alongside the Masters, which is the game. Gaming masters. If you extrapolate it that far, um, you would have the painting masters at the same time. So all the best painters just dicking about on tables being spazzers while uh, while generally speaking, everyone else is taking it a lot more seriously on the other side of the room. Um, so I want to announce that this year will be the first year of the Pro Painted podcast rankings. So it will be the Pro Painted rankings, nice and easy um and hoping that we will then be hosting the painting masters alongside the gaming masters um up in derby or potentially another venue so all kind of very very new all very fresh but going forward there will be we will be doing rankings basically so it's a bit lighthearted you know take it as seriously as you want <laughs> which i don't really think many people will take that seriously um but oh, we'll I be- don't know We'll we'll get a website up. Um, you'll be able to submit rankings same way you can. But that's some nice big news which I'm currently working on with one of our lovely that's chats. Awesome. So that that is coming soon. I don't want to derail too much uh, of, of Byron's little chat, but uh, that's some that's some news coming from us. So watch this space uh, over the next four weeks. That should be firmed up and hopefully have something available for people to look at on the internet.
1: Yeah. Don't lie, you hate you hate the talk of non-metallic metal that much. So as soon as Byron started talking about that, I said, get off, fuck off. He hasn't even thought about it. He's just <laughs> looking, oh, I'm doing Masters, quickly.
0: Right, so next we we'll move on to Byron. Let's talk about Face Hammer. Just kind of give us a brief mm-hmm. overview. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, of the podcasts, most certainly when I started listening, they kind of in the early doors you kind of had your you had your bad dice and your your healing hammer. They when I came onto the scene in eighth and did tournaments, they were kind of what you listened to. Obviously, I was involved with kind of the early days and kind of towards the end of, of the Black Sun, so you know things like that, and um, we're all kind of involved. And then kind of this face hammer thing came. So what we, I'm just kind of interested, what it was, what kind of brought you guys together kind of what inspired you to do the hobby that is podcasting
2: so um i kind of alluded to uh how i met russ bunny uh, earlier but so i spoke to him we spoke about airbrushing a little bit and um then he, he contacted me again a couple of months later and said, like, if you ever want to come on and chat hobby, uh, well, while we're doing hobby, that'd be cool. So we started doing that. And then he said, I've got this mate called Les. Um, I'm going to invite him in. I think he's free. Same with Terry. And we, we just, that was our thing. We just sat around and we did our hobby. And for me, um, it's very different for a lot of people, but my hobby does not involve, um, I don't play games outside of tournaments at all. Like pretty much period. I have played two since AOS came out outside of a tournament. Wow. Um, uh, it's, it's like it's not because I don't like the game. I fucking love playing Warhammer so much. Um, but my hobby time is spent chatting to my favorite people in the world um, over Skype and maybe painting, maybe converting, maybe just chatting shit. Um, and that's <clears throat> that's what we did. So I don't when when people say like oh you got in a couple of games this week i will have got in a couple of hours chatting <laughs> chatting to the guys and um a few of the things like we talk about like we, we go through the process of particularly building lists um and even um like early on i mean russ russ remains one of the best players in the world at pretty much anything he wants to pick um terry and les pretty on point as well and even when i wasn't as on point um it was clear to us that some of these discussions were genuinely interesting, like sitting down and trying to make uh, an elf list work or working out like my ogre's list for a team event or or whatever it was. Um, it was it was interesting to be part of the discussions. We thought it would be interesting to listen to them. So we basically just started formalising and recording the discussions that we already had. Um, Can I interject something there? Yeah.
0: that's okay inseminate um, it Rob inseminate something uh, I, th- I think and
1: I, I don't mean I don't this is no negative connotation to this next bit at all right
0: but you, you're like the first is that like when someone like, says sorry Rob is that when someone says I'm not racist but I'm not you know, racist meaning, but inherently whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. you're about to say is very racist <laughs> well, no, but I, I th- and I think the guys would agree and, and to use a uh, uh, sort of a bit of uh, a, Negative vernacular, as it were, but you're probably one of the first gamey podcasts in the UK. Like, as far as people, if, if you wanted to know a good decent list or what was efficient, then it was the Face Hammer guys that, no, that was you was bad to listen to.
0: No, that was always bad dice. Come on. No, well, no, but
2: yeah, they, but, but they, 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 <laughs> they, they, for, they for Age they, of Sigmar, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and AOS, you know, they, uh, at that sort of period where there was that transition from 8th to AOS bad dice you know on a bit of hiatus since then do you know what i mean and it, it was you know if you wanted to know what the best lists were or what you know someone's thought of, so they really did fill a niche and you know i start, I, I listen, i've been listening since the first episode and obviously got to play them as pretty much a team minus terry at, at the Ming rotationals which was <laughs> that was amazing for you we always uh, we always talk amazing. about that that was amazing. You know, it was, it was
2: brilliant. Um, you just looked shell shocked.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it takes. Do you know what, Byron? It fucking takes a lot, mate. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> is, so I think you, 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 you three should actually feel quite proud of yourselves um, that you managed to do it. But no, it was it was great, and you know, good. Obviously, good bunch of lads. And I uh, listened to Russ when he did. Um, he, he did something with Chris, and he with the Warriors of Chaos. Um, for the Black Sun as well, when the book came out, and that was pretty much the first army that I kind of picked up when I got back into it. So, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's been good to have you on the airways for the last three years now. Three, well, yeah, it's, been a, since, yeah. it's,
2: been, it's been a fair while. I think like we we all we're all keen. For, like I'd always been a keen player. I wasn't wasn't the best, but no. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't. Um, <laughs> I wasn't completely awful. And I think part of the reason is the lack of practice games. So when a lot of people have asked what's made you better recently, I just think I reached the prerequisite amount of games being like more than 50 Mm -hmm. um, where you start getting good at something. It's just it took me three years rather than six months. Um, we're We're all keen players and painters and just are like it's one of those it's being part of our group. Like the questions are all like, how are you going to evolve what you're doing? It's, it's not like you must excel as a person, but it's, um, so what are you working on next? Are you thinking of this? Oh, are you going to try out any new techniques on that army? Like Matt, you're always talking about how you pick a technique and that's, that's your thing for that army. Um, Like that type of discussion um, we'd have a lot of, and that's, that's the type of thing that selfishly we would all really really enjoy listening to from other people therefore arrogantly we thought well fuck it we'll push it out there and and other people should enjoy it if they're the type of people that like the same type of stuff that we do so um that was it basically and then we we sorted out our sound a tiny bit and started it was a lot worse back in the day um but uh yeah that was it really
0: Awesome. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I mean, we can basically, what I'm going to do, I'm going to edit that whole section, and um, I'll just, we're talking about streamlining, so we'll streamline that to be, we want to do copy the Black Sun, and we want to be the king of netlists. So I think that that sums up Facehammer.
2: I was just jealous that um, Chris did turquoise better than me, so (laughs) I wanted to tell people about my turquoise.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Chris is such an owner of turquoise that... There was genuine, genuinely no word of a line. I don't know if you're aware of this. There was elements of aggro was caused if you actually used hawk turquoise. You know, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I'm not, you know, and in a jovial way, but it was kind of serious. It was kind of his. You know, if you painted someone with hawk turquoise, it was probably going to be shit. Um, because that's Chris's. You can't use it, but that was always very entertaining. But yeah, face hammer. We've we've wanked you guys off a couple of times on the podcast already. Um, for me, essential listening. I think you do goo. You do do goo goo. Uh, you do do a good balance of kind of talking about the game, what's going on, kind of the the hobby aspects as well. From the over, because hobby for me is not just painting. Hobby is all the aspects of it and i include podcasting in that so um if you are looking for something that's a little mind mine kind of give you a good insight as to what people are playing um kind of how people go through the thought process of building lists and playing games and how they interact on the table face hammer you, you can't go you can't go wrong with that and i mean to be honest in the current in the current environment i think face hammer is the must listen to podcast uh, obviously after us, um, you know, we're we're clearly the number one. Um, then I think Face Am number two. Um but there's a little bit of hiatus at the moment, you're the Age of Segbra guys having a bit of a bit of a break. Obviously Chris, I'm really, really hoping he comes back with some stuff in the new year, but he's you know, he's always been my buddy, so he's always put brilliant stuff out there so that's that's it that's your face hammer wank off all right so uh thank you give me my give me always, my always two, pleasure give me my two pound 50 store credit and uh we'll make sure. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we'll take a uh, we'll take a short break there and then we're going to crack onto a bit more of a bit more of a tooly side we'll talk about some paints and airbrushing and dry brushing all right back in a minute mm-hmm. And we are back. Um, so we're going to crack on with something that I've taken a massive amount of advice from um, from Byron, um, and it's really going to be in relation to paint ranges um, and kind of the the reasons why you use certain paints and different ranges and kind of the applications. So uh, Byron, if you've got an initial kind of bits of wisdom in that regard,
2: yeah, I mean I can like I will try and I'll do like a a bullet point inversion and then you can ask me things and i'll expand on it so games workshop basis for undercoats because they cover incredibly um scale 75 for incredibly diverse technical application um i'm being reductive here on purpose See, Um, I,
0: i really like skills just quickly i've i've just started with scale 75 paints um and when you say about the technical aspect i think they're they if you want to practice blending they almost they almost feel like cheat like yeah, they just blend beautifully and you're like, oh my god, I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm a pro blender already. They're they're a perfect example of a paint that just helps you with that particular technique.
2: So if you if you're gonna use like if you're gonna use an analogy, I think there say someone's trying to get good at cooking. Yeah. And cooking's all about the spices <laughs> the spices and stuff like that. Like other paint ranges, you give someone like um, Here is like the freshest produce ever. It's like, like it's complete. Like it's come from a field or been murdered. If you eat dead things, um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. from like, (laughs) from like (laughs) only only a mile down the road or whatever, and it's it's with you. And all you got to do is turn it into food. And then he takes someone who doesn't know how to cook and they're like, "Uh..." and scale seventy five has like it's finished. The spices are added. It's been cooked the right amount of time. Like it is for blending definitely not for base coating unless using an airbrush Mm -hmm. um for blending the amount of um i talked about the stuff that i added to wash it's like they've just done it for you they've added in everything i mean that does make it very very weird and if you take a scale 75 paint and you try to use it like a base paint you're really like it's there is an adjustment period Mm, uh, Is the short way to say what i'm trying to say but um they've just they've done all of it for you like it's it's fucking up like it's it's tabled up it's garnished it's got the cutlery ready and you're just like go blend <laughs> yeah i agree with that definitely you're, you're sorted um so for technical application um scale 75 um, although as i touched on you can just airbrush it and it just airbrush like a normal paint which is another reason why it's magic um magic! army, pa- <laughs> <laughs> army It just for just like flat um Vanilla utility, and I mean that in a positive sense. I actually really, really like the army painter paints, and I don't know why people don't use them more. Um, I think their blacks are really good. Their whites are pretty good. I mean, I, I hate blacks in in general paint wise. Like they are awful. Loads of people are there. like
0: that Gw blacks are just absolute dog shit. I
2: know Rob them, yes.
0: but fuck me, they're. No, I don't. right, all
2: right. I nearly <laughs> but, corrected you about your own podcast then. <sighs> these guys talk so much shit to be honest <laughs> well now you've got me to add into that um, but yeah he, I, actually, um, he
1: actually went and bought a bottle of army paint black the other
0: day he did did he yeah oh, it's,
2: it's fantastic I still it's think so a black
1: has its uses though Rob Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, okay
2: yeah lining my fucking bin <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, I'd like um, and something that you kind of fits with that is like no one paint range will do for everything sorry guys I agree, Done. I agree. let's yeah. just close that one there we're right. If anyone thinks otherwise, then I can completely respect people only wanting to think about one range for various reasons, but like, it's just not the case. Um, I've missed one off here. Uh, Vallejo is for everything else. Um, so Vallejo is an incredibly weird, varied, inconsistent range. Some of their things are awesome and plenty are not. Yeah. So to, to recap on that.
1: The game area is dog shit, but their model is good. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, but then Game Air Metals, fucking baller. So, like, all of that is all over it. So, um, Scale 75 Technical for glazing um, or blending, Games Workshop for kind of um, taking one paint and doing a thing with it solidly, normally base coating. They have plenty of paints that will do other stuff. I will
0: will say my current favourite things, though. Their edge paints are amazing as a combination between a utility paint and a kind of a base color they go on so well i love i edge heard
2: i heard you talking about this recently oh. uh while i was driving and i am i'm definitely going to purchase them i, I don't uh, know
0: why i didn't do them beforehand there is that final highlight before you might want to push to white
2: oh, oh so good it's probably this probably the same reason that you didn't buy a mold line scope and then you buy it and you're like wow yeah why th- didn't i look that like, this yep entirely that um so you got there they're the four ranges i touch on. i use others uh like dark star do some interesting metals um there's there's plenty of ranges out there um but that's kind of in a nutshell in each of them how i use them so i don't use games Workshop as much as i used to because i don't think they airbrush well and if i want consistency um then i kind of need the same color um so unless like i'm doing ask a quick question ahead.
1: Um, yeah. we we'll probably get to some later have you, have you used any of the Forge world like tints or have you used the artificer tint set at all or anything like that
2: I haven't actually and I really should i got the, the tint uh that's
1: amazing i've
2: used some of that already. I? I got one of that i got their, their uh what's the one that's like blood colored the filter the red it's it Angron is it Angron red or something like that
1: potentially either that'll work word barriers or something I'm not sure more maybe that's the
2: that's the one four-year-old one that I've bought. I've heard very good things, pretty consistently, about them actually, but I've I've not used them myself. I've kind of found my my comfort zone with various brands, and I tend to yeah. tend to sit in that um, a little bit blindly, if I'm honest. Um, so, um, where was it? They they kind of Games Workshop. I don't use as much because I can't take it from airbrush to model as well mm-hmm. some of their air range airbrushes amazingly like they've got a really good green they've got a really good tan color um and I've got like 20 of the air paints and I do use them every now and again but they're not within my default I actually don't use too many different paints either like I, I've got a little wooden uh, spice rack pot um and if I'm going to consider painting an army I'm not allowed more paints than fit in that pot just to stop myself from being an idiot, more than anything actually, right, and it's okay. something I believe really strongly and A few people I've I've spoken to do this, but for army painting, let's say you've got That's like
1: really
2: let's say you got a little takeaway tub or whatever that um, you get a curry in or something like that, and it holds ten to fifteen paints. That is a really solid amount, and if you can start forcing yourself to do that, it means a couple of things. One, your palette is going to be limited because it's limited, like it's, it actually has a limit. Um, Two, if you have limited hobby time or limited hobby space, when you start painting, you take that pot and you put it on your desk and that contains everything you need by definition yeah. because you don't need anything that's not in it. So I think it's actually a really good practice. Um,
1: do you think, just on, on that, and sorry to keep buttoning. in, um, I mean a conversation funny. that um, uh, me and Ian were having at the weekend where he's, 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 um, he did a test model for his daughter's a cane army that he wants to do. And he was saying about using similar or, or same sorry same lighter shades to highlight different colors throughout the model to tie it to tie it yeah. into itself 100%. so so you, yep. you know is that a thing I mean is that's not yeah. something I've I've always sort of gone by the GW you know sort of painting system, the, as, it, as it were but you know maybe yeah, using a almost in triax. streaming skull to in, in different colors and then it ties it back because you're using the same color almost.
2: Yeah, entirely. Uh, Johnson does this pretty much always, I think, um, and it, he was definitely the first person. Him and Russ, Russ with frostbite from yeah. P3 on his on his worries of chaos back in the day, and Ben with pff, it might have been witch flesh or it might have been a bone color um, on his Skaven, I believe. Um, I definitely do it as well. My high elves, uh, it go, it went. It, it, it went from Hawk Turquoise, but I've now changed to Game Color because the Hawk Turquoise doesn't exist anymore. So I've got Falcon Turquoise and Game Color because it's a flat-out rip-off. Um, so um, it goes from... Uh, actually, I don't want to forget this because I think it's a really important thing. It's a really interesting thing. Talking about uh, old Games Workshop paints and new Games Workshop paints. So I've mentioned already Games Workshop paints are just a colour and you put them on something and they will be that colour. Um Games Workshop paints are made with a painting app and a system in mind now and they're made for simplicity and they're made for following step-by-steps and what that means, one of kind of the offshoots of it, is that every one of their paint colours is very very pure mm. um, and without nuance. And what I mean by that is that if you take an old colour like Snake Bite Leather um, I'm, I mentioned this uh, when I was talking at Facehammer I actually mentioned Red Leather from Vallejo and, and some other stuff. Um if you take a colour like snake bite leather from back in the day, um, that had like it was like had hints of olive in it, and if you diluted it, it'd do this, and you have if you added it to black, it'd go like deep, deep green, and if you added yellow to it, it'd do something else, and and this and that and all the other. Um, that doesn't happen with games workshop paints anymore because they are made to be exact like it's like you've picked a panatone colour and that is all that paint will ever be. It doesn't have an essence of this and a bit of that just straight down the line this is this type of green this is this type of turquoise this is this type of black whatever it is other paint ranges still have those nuances going on um and i think that a lot of people don't realize this about the new games workshop ranges they are designed with um just like flat out kind of uh I don't want to use negative words, but like unimaginative utility.
0: They're almost uh, arti- It's almost like they're an artificial colour in a way. Um, you know, the red's red uh, entirely. You know, yeah. We we've all sat there and we've used uh, word programs and stuff, and we wanted to choose the colour of. Um, uh, the, the text we want to use and you'll have your default 16 colors from black to white all on a little square and you go I want that green that but if you feel like actually i want something a little bit lighter you kind of have to click to the more colors and you get your color wheel come up and that's where you start yep. moving it around and you see well all the colors kind of interact and work together and i think that's where historically all paints have kind of operated um and as you're saying like a lot of the older ones do whereas if you take that step back and you just go to those preset generic colors that's what gw paints are and i for me that's how i think of that analogy now
2: yeah i think that's a really really good way of putting it i mean that's that's why they've had to expand the range so much one of the reasons why technically because they they've stopped, they've lent away from mixing and everything like that as well because you can absolutely understand why they've done it if you're new to gaming it's a barrier to entry if they are like take like three parts of this two parts of this and one part of this yeah um, and make this are like no paint number one is this then you wash paint number two is number one repeated mm-hmm. Um, paint number three is this and then you use this edge paint and then you're done or you dry brush with this or you do whatever so uh, games workshop now produces a fantastically varied but systematic and individually non-diverse set of paints um so for that reason i've gone on a real tangent there but i thought it was worth covering Um, the um my elves they are based in game falcon turquoise which is old hawk turquoise and then I use army painter skeleton bone because it's like the old games workshop um whatever the bone was called bleach bone um insofar as if you take that and you add it to turquoise you get this amazing beautiful thing where it pulls out the green in the bone so you start off with a blue and even though it's called turquoise it is quite a, a bluey turquoise mm-hmm. um and then as you highlight that bone kind of you pull up and up and up and up and up and you get a, a beautiful little kind of sexy nuance where your tur- your bluey turquoise um becomes a less saturated because you're adding a bone color to it um, but your bluey turquoise becomes a greeny turquoise as it becomes a lighter turquoise as it becomes a white um yeah, a
0: color shifts
2: yeah exactly so that bone color to return to your original point from five minutes ago and rob (laughs) that that goes throughout the entire army um and that's used to highlight the skin Uh, i mean (laughs) i'm gonna say two places now it's used to highlight the skin and the cloaks but that's basically all there is on the army that isn't metal um it's also used a bit in dry brushing on the bases uh in certain places like that but other armies my ogres, i took I sometimes I do it with two colours so there's one for highlighting colours and there's one for highlighting flesh um, but that'll be used on dark flesh, light flesh like highlights um, I'll even use it in darker bits of flesh and then wash it over but I absolutely try and take one colour and use it throughout an army for cohesion and that tied in with my very like obsessive regimented um, takeaway box of paints it's kind of, if you look at my elf army I think a lot of the things people like about it, they don't realize on a um on a conscious level because i've taken various steps uh to operate at the back of people's minds and a lot of them are just omitting other things i've omitted other colors i've emitted varied highlights i've omitted this all the shadows are, are like are washed with the same colors on every single cloak and as a result you look at something it's kind of relaxing to look at because there is nothing complicated going on it goes from dark turquoise super saturated to light turquoise super saturated and that's it
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's an interesting way of looking at it uh, and i and actually and you know i'll take a step from that as well i i I always use Rackarth flesh, as the colour that I always mix into my paints, exactly the same as you were saying before. But now I've, because I want to brighten up my colours a bit more, I actually do work up to the pallid witch flesh. Because I think there was an issue with the pallid witch flesh when it initially came out. The recipe seemed quite chalky, it was quite prone to separate. Yeah. But that seems to be solved now. So, yeah, I, I think it's something that's a very, very useful tip is this idea of bringing all your colours together by adding a common highlight colour works well.
2: Mm hmm. If you pick a common highlight colour that's not massively opaque, one that is made for layering and highlighting and blending, so not a base paint um, or a foundation paint or whatever terminology you want to use, um, it also opens up something which I try to exploit in my painting, which is a hard final highlight through changing ranges. So what I mean by that is um, my elf army is all about contrast from turquoise to turquoise as i keep saying i can't see anything else because it's the only color there um <laughs> it's all the but but what it is is i take my mid-tone and then i glaze the highlights right right down but i use scale 75 ink intensity inks which are fucking nuts like they are mental they are dangerously vibrant i mix them into my wash mix and i wash it multiple times and multiple times and multiple times in the shadows so you get this really really dark kind of like a uh, like a, a dark greeny bluey sea colour mm-hmm. um, in the recesses um, and then I add my uh, I add my bone equivalent to my mix. And I add it and add it, add it. And then I add scale seventy-five white to that mix. But scale seventy-five isn't a very opaque set of paints. Hmm. So because of everything I've said about its its blending and and the various mediums and stuff in it, it's basically got uh, a fair bit of glaze medium in it and a fair bit of drying retarder in it, which makes it less transparent, therefore looks smoother than it is when blending, and also gives you more time to work on it whilst trying to achieve those blends. So that white is added to the bone, which has got a bit of turquoise in it as I go up and up and up and up. And then at the very end, uh, you kind of switch gears and I go to um, Army Painter for their white, which is white and is pretty opaque by white standards at least. Um, and then I, I bring that out for the final dot or the final line. And that means that you mm. can be highlighting with white, like I can do you can do two glazes with one white and then people would be like, well, where do you go from there? You know, I go like, well, I go from... This white to to this white and that is like a hot that's like a full stop at the end of of the sentence it's just like poof, done finished closed um like period done um and that's that's one thing you can use by exploiting the kind of different personalities of the different ranges um finding good whites is hard though i tend to, uh, i've used a couple of valeo ones but the army painter one is it's one of my favourites. Um, you don't have to go to a hard stop. You don't have to do anything. But um, sometimes I won't go to that white if I don't want to on the area that I've got. Um, but I was go ahead. Sorry.
0: I think I'm going to be ordering some army painter white again. I like that. It's something I'd never even considered the idea of using the same colour but look, using the different properties of it to get it the different effects. So I use white scar yeah, white sure. scar quite a lot. So I might kind of try that out with in comparison to the army painter and yeah. try a couple of others. It's very
2: cool. Definitely give it a go. I mean, you can't fuck up either. Like, white can go really bad, but if it's transparent, then if you made a mistake, you only made 50% of a mistake rather than 90% of a mistake.
0: (laughs) Sure, no, I get you. That's awesome, brilliant. Uh, Very useful. I'm literally sat here going, I've got fucking ideas to go away from doing this. This is brilliant.
2: (laughs) Cool. I'm trying to think about, so we've covered Scale75. I will go back on them, though, because I think there's a couple of interesting things that I learned when I did a class with David Soper. A.K. sprocket aka mr slayer sword six or seven yeah. times now i think it was <laughs> lovely the room easily oh god it, it, like his class is probably the most fascinated i've ever been as a as a like as a grown-up sat listening to someone talk um it was absolutely phenomenal but i took a class with him and this kind of goes back to my approach of having painting heroes or idols and taking their techniques and then bastardizing them until they're my own. Um, but we did his class and he stipples um, to an absolutely ridiculous degree. And he stipples um, like his pointillism is so, so, so small that people don't even realize. But it's his kind of his signature technique yeah. that he's been using for he won a slice sword 20 years ago about 20 years before he re-picked up painting, picked it up again. He carried on using the same techniques um, from the 80s, which back then were much less refined and uh, and more sloppy. And then he took the same techniques, but the world had moved on and he carried on using them. And that's one of the things that makes him such a fascinating, unique painter. Anyway, I took his class and um, I wanted to speed up his technique. And with Scale 75 paints, because they are weird and... They are not uh, they're not opaque. The thing that I figured out you could do is you could take your brush and you could treat it really really badly. You could start uh, like take off most of the paint, try this pointillism, this uh stippling, like the the tappy tappy tappy, pokey pokey stuff on the model, yeah. and you you do it until your brush is kind of giving up, and and the point at which where you'd normally go and put some more paint on it because it's starting to splay through not from being a bad brush but from just being a bit too dry. Um, and when it splays, it sprays into a really natural kind of, uh, like the brush kind of becomes a cone rather than a point. Mm-hmm. Um, then you can take that brush, take it back to your palette ever so carefully, dip it into your paint, and then you can use that to stipple on the model. And because the paint isn't opaque, you can get an all over general blend that isn't done through uniform glazing and therefore is much faster it's a difficult thing to explain but it's kind of like the spray can tool on paint on ms paint right um it's using that to blend rather than trying to use like a a fade um and and you can do it really fast so my storm casts um my five judicators that i've painted that are in my army um i reckon it probably made them took take a fifth of the time that they would have taken otherwise so the models took two to three hours each instead of without any exaggeration whatsoever seven to ten maybe seven to twelve if I was doing it glazing and since then I've used that technique more and more I've not painted too much but I've used it more than never which is how much I used it before to try and try and get areas covered fast. And one of the nice things about it is really difficult areas to do blending on like rounded shoulder plates or spheres or like rounded heads. It doesn't have to be on metallic stuff at all, not by any means. No. Um, you can just poke a brush at it and poke a brush a bit less at the edges. And because it's not, you're not trying to achieve like flawless airbrush style um, perfection, you can get away with a lot more. <laughs> Sorry, you can get away with a lot more and you can add highlights to it and you can shade it down a lot faster because you're just poking at your model. Um, it's much easier on large, heroic, chunky Stormcast than it would be on delicate Elves or something like that. Uh, don't get me wrong, but it yeah, is, um, it's a very interesting technique.
0: Yeah, that does sound very interesting. And stippling is something that I've played around in the past and one of the things that I've had quite a lot of comments on because so I did it on some of the, the armor of my Mercia miniatures. So, well, that's I'm going to add that to the list of something else to try out. It's... Um, it's an interesting way of kind of approaching the same finish, while kind of taking oh, a slightly different approach to it. And you're almost letting the surface of the model, because that's what kind of with airbrushing, you're you're kind of you, you use the tools you're given from the model to help your airbrushing with you know particular colours and angles work. So with yeah. blending, you're not really doing that because you're actually just moving the paint around the model for-
2: until it looks right. Uh, you're forcing it.
0: Yeah. Whereas if you're using that technique, I can see where you can get a benefit from doing it because you can almost the model can help guide you to putting basically putting the right amount of paint in the right area because of the way that you're actually initially applying the paint. It's like a, it's almost like a very selective version of dry brushing as well. It's very
2: Yeah, so can say exactly that same thing? Um, and you can you can mix it with glazing so you can glaze your shadows. Mm after you've got the indication of where your shadows should be from your stippling in the first place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's super, super cool. And I think a lot of us coming from Games Workshop background, view stippling as something you'd do to do like chipping or yeah. putting mud on something or insert entirely opaque effect here. Um, and then just by trying it with another paint range, my eyes were just opened up wide as to what you can do something else and it's fast as well i mean you can do a really rough and ready down and dirty quick approach to it and achieve something very very interesting and different super super quick and um again going back to what i said about um lack of opacity and mistakes if you're doing if you're doing something bit by bit but you're just doing it a lot and you're not even doing it opaque when it does land if you make a mistake the chances are it's not going to even be noticeable so um going back and fixing things is way more time consuming than maybe even taking 10% longer to do them and just doing stuff uh, on repeat.
0: Mm, yeah, sure. F- for certain. And that's uh, As I said, it was, I keep feeling like I keep saying, mm-hmm, interesting, but it, it really is. It's a very fascinating insight to applying kind of different techniques. And I know that I'll, I'm definitely going to be trying these things out. Definitely food for thought. Yeah.
2: Final thing to say about trying different techniques. Um, it's about having a home course and, having favorite colors and colors you know and not trying out new techniques with new colors yeah um so i wrote something about this a a long long time ago um but it's something i I genuinely truly believe and you can have it so when i'm talking about a home course it was an analogy to to people like having their home race course where they practiced driving or 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 sure. whatever it is and you have in somewhere you know inside out like the back of your hand you know it in the rain the snow uh sleet hot dry cold whatever um
1: can i just interrupt
2: you there just to yeah, um,
1: go how, how much you can tell you own your own big big business can't you what, what analogy it's like so it's <laughs> like when you own your own race course isn't it me, matt me mean matt like i don't know <laughs> yeah okay I do am just gonna go out the back at the greens keeper to go and brush the uh, leaves off my race course now, one second, hold up. Um yeah, come recals, on back, back that to you be be An
2: entirely illegal mountain pass if you want it. It just has to <laughs> it just have to be your home one, your comfortable one, your like your home skate park, your whatever. Um or if you're if you're like in the the back of Wales it could be your backyard or whatever. Um so um so you have this This home run, this home course, you know, at the back of your hand. And for me, that was Necrons back in the day when I was commission painting. I knew how to put stuff in a Necron, and I always knew how a Necron would behave. Mm -hmm. So I could try out different washes in different colours. But to reverse that, turn it inside out, back to front, flip it on its head, when I'm changing models or I'm changing techniques, I tend not to change colours. And this has happened by default, again, to harp on about turquoise, with my turquoise army or with my black and white... um, non-metallic metal on the storm casts i don't if i'm trying out a new um a new technique and i can do it with existing colors rather than being like hey here's this crazy like this crazy new thing that i'm gonna struggle to get my head around i'm gonna whack out orange which i never ever ever touch um it's actually a really really bad idea because you don't know what you're gonna highlight with you don't know what works well to shade that orange you don't know um don't know if it's a potentially chalky one. You don't know if it reacts badly with water or glaze medium or you shouldn't use spit with it. Um point to sure, note new, new GW paints <laughs> do not like spit as much as the old ones did. Actually, with some of them makes your makes your blending worse. Um But um all of this stuff, uh people are like, Well, I'm gonna try normatal metal for the first time ever and I'm gonna do it in gold. And I've never ever used five of these yellow paints and I have bought them especially for this. Now don't get me wrong, if you're following a tutorial, then that makes absolute sense. But if you're about to try something new, adding another head fuck into the equation is 100 percent not going to make it any easier. I mean, it might not make it worse, but it definitely, definitely will not make it easier. Um, and I think a lot of people make that mistake. So when I'm trying out new things, to get to like to go back again to my little takeaway tub, I'm gonna use the paints in that tub because I know them. And I know that if I take this grey. And I want to shade it with this darker grey, or I want to add this white to it, and then the highlight at the end with this white. I can try that. Whether I am stippling, glazing, um, uh, there's like uh, French, like French juicing is like a, like an, another equivalent of like really, 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 really dilute glazing, all that type of stuff. If I'm trying out a new push pull technique, or if I'm trying chipping, if I use those same paints, then I know how they behave with each other. Therefore, I'm just removing one more head fuck from my new head fuck that I'm giving myself. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, it's just
0: it's almost it's basically saying that no matter if you're taking on a new challenge, make sure you've got some level of um, familiarity. You know, build that in and it's going to help you succeed in the technique that you're trying out.
2: Highly, and if you can put in like three familiarities, so you can do it on the, like I mean, return to me basing every single model in the same way ever. Um, or like if you can do it in the same base, the same model with the same paints New technique, then you've kept three quarters of that shit the same and comforting, um, and then you can just try and put all of your mental effort, which is limited, um, into this one new thing you're trying to do and understand and master all at the same time, which is quite a difficult task. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Awesome, brilliant. Well, you know, I know you felt like you went on a bit of a tangent then, but some, some, some fantastic. Uh points again to bear in mind um it's interesting to kind of hear how your brain works in regards to the application of colors and techniques as well so it's very interesting um and obviously one of the things you're very well known for most certainly recently is uh, airbrushing so mm-hmm. as far as you're concerned what would you use an airbrush for where would you apply an airbrush
2: when would you want okay to so it? absolutely fucking everything that you can if you like enjoying your life <laughs> Okay.
0: So, um, hobby hack, hobby hack.
2: Yeah, entirely. Like, it's, it is a shortcut, it is a time saving tool, it is a enthusiasm and will to live saving tool, it is a make your hobby more enjoyable tool, it is absolutely everything, um, until the point where you should stop using it. I'm going to give no hard, fast rules on this because you can't. But, <laughs> like, so I've, I've started off by saying use it for absolutely everything you can.
0: Yeah.
2: Within reason. And when it stops being a good idea, definitely stop because otherwise you'll end up really screwing things over you'll try getting you'll be trying to get more out of your airbrush than's actually realistic like don't try and paint teeth with an airbrush it's just it's not going to help anyone do anything but um i will try and do everything with it and not necessarily in the most conventional of ways so i will apply a base coat with it always period unless there's a very good reason why i shouldn't um like there's the model has a pretty equal 50 50 split of two colors on it and they keep swirling over each other it's like nothing but flesh and cloth and the cloth swirls all over and it's just going to get messy um i will i will try and base coat with an airbrush and i'll try and add an extra bonus bit to that the airbrush so i'm normally pre a model um so I'll, I'll undercoat it back from a can never ever ever replace undercoating um from a can because you get a chemical bond to your model from a can and from an airbrush it's just you just put something on top of something else that's slightly sticky um, it will not protect models for gaming use um, for like display painting fill your boots makes sense but if something's going to be touched by skin undercoat it from a can so undercoat it from a can i then i use my airbrush to learn my model so it's black at this point or dark blue dark green dark turquoise whatever it's going to be um, i then get my My mid-tone, like a mid-grey, and I I start putting that down with the airbrush from the top, from 45 degrees. A lot of you will have heard the phrase zenithal. Mm -hmm. um, Zenithal highlights, or zenithal pre-highlights. Again, my tutorials have some pictures that will probably explain this better than I will with words. I put that down, and at this point, I'm learning my model. I'm also finding out the bits where I didn't remove seal lines and stuff like that, which is kind of helpful for... um, So. do that all over the model and then you get your highlight pink white at this stage and you, you dot that where you think you should on the model and this is a fantastic way to learn like however you want to put it the soul the personality of a model before you actually start putting a brush on it it's also a really good way to stop you from holding a blank canvas in your hands yeah and like, nothing is more intimidating i mean they look lovely armies in, in in gray plastic or all undercoated black or whatever but like what a task like shit that is so many hours of your life that you're about to lose and some of them might not be pleasant um so one of my art teachers in school who he, he, like he always made us like put brown paper on our pages or stain them with tea or like dye them or whatever or like rip them up but it's it's definitely true psychologically there is a a huge step in doing something that stops it from being an entirely blank empty canvas yeah. um, and you get to learn your model so i'll do that and then after i've gone from I'll reduce it to black to white. It probably will usually be black to white. I will take a colour um, that is going to be my my actual base coat, because that's a pre-shade or a pre-base coat or an undercoat, or however you want to put it. Um, I'll make it slightly more transparent, and then that will go all over the model. But kind of pushing or punching through that, you get this beautiful effect where um, the bits that were black have got a very deep version of your base coat colour, and the bits that were white have got a very light version of your colour. So before you... Like, that's not taking that long to using an airbrush and they're fast you've got it down smooth which is brilliant and um then that allows you to rock on with your model you can leave the airbrush behind there that'd be fine um or you can get another color and and exaggerate your highlights or nuance your shades or anything like that um and that that lets you go there but um that's where i started off with it but then i realized that i could put washes through an airbrush Mm -hmm. um I could do um, paint spatters with an airbrush, which is completely uncontrollable and therefore is the most fun and worrying thing ever at the <laughs> same time. Um, and um, I, I got more and more... I realised, actually, I missed out one of the ranges, the paint ranges I should have spoken up. I realised um, in with introducing Tamiya to what I was doing, I could achieve very, very, like, kind of closer to, at, like, end of model stage stuff i could do through the airbrush because they they airbrush like liquid silk they're an amazing range um so i can like dot foreheads with them or like catch cheekbones or or whatever it is and um more and more airbrushing for me is has become something that goes on throughout a model not like you pick right. it up and you start and then you stop like my uh my stormcast my prime my judicators uh, that i've already mentioned so I, I, I airbrush appreciated them, like I've said. I learnt the model, did did some stages on them, then put a grey down, then a lighter grey, and then a darker grey in the recesses. Then I got the brush out, and I washed them with a the brush, I stippled them with a the brush. Then I got the airbrush out again, and I really, really carefully, whilst cheating myself, um, put little dots of highlight um, over my brushwork. Okay. And then I got a brush, I got a brush, and I put, a smaller dot in the middle of that highlight or I stippled on top of that or I shaded around the edge or I fixed a mistake. Um, so it's become less like first 30% airbrush, next 70% brush. It's become more like first quarter airbrush, like then like a third painting and then like 10% airbrush, 10% brush, 10% airbrush, fix mistakes with brush finish. Um, high-end stuff so you can put it in anywhere you want you can mask with fingers really easily you can mask with blue tack really easily you can just mask by angle like holding your model at the right angle will just make sure things don't get hit or do get hit depending on what you want so more and more as i've i've got comfortable with it and i've got comfortable with the paint ranges i'm putting through that's, that's had a big effect on it actually or with transparency uh so if i fuck up again it's not opaque um i've i've begun to use it throughout the process so i'll i'll get a model and it'll be like 90% done i'll be like that highlight is just not bright enough like what am i doing um something that andy wardle who again is a, an incredible painter and a really really nice guy uh, is known for painting um a lot of golden demon winning tanks and now he's moved on to kind of uh, like high-end fantasy and historical stuff as, as well as the space marines um he told me he'd been to a classroom with someone else and that person said it is never too late to pre-highlight your model all so right, you can get okay. all of your model 90% of the way through and you could be like, like the top of that head needs to be lighter like that's fine get out your white <coughs> with the airbrush and, and just put white down and then put your base coat down again if it's not bright enough like it is never wrong to go in to put down something something I use white it could be dark though it could be uh so to take something white to put down under something to make sure when you put that green on it or whatever it is that that green is bright as fuck if that's what you want at that time um
0: yeah never I could, never never considered that I'm I'm very much one of those where I, I put the pre-highlights down and then I paint up from there and the rest is just it's just brushwork yeah. something I'd never
2: considered it's no, no reason why not though because an airbrush will put down a gradual fade so it's hard to make a like once you've got a decent amount of control with one, it's hard to make a, a like a a big splurgy spider mistake on it. Um, they do happen though, and it's heartbreaking when they do. Um, but because you've got that fade, you can take like <clears throat> something really organic, like um uh, like the stacked shoulder on a on a budthirst or whatever, where he's got his he's got his shoulder muscles and they're they're all bulging, and you could be like like I just want the recesses of that to be darker. Fuck it, it's fine. Get out your airbrush, put some blue in it to shade you red. And then run it down the middle of that because you can't all like hold it at a certain angle where you, uh, you you take the model and you're aiming at it from below to make it so the bottom of that muscle is darker to make the top of it look brighter. Um, and you've the airbrush, therefore, is this tool. If you, if you think of your model as like nothing but mid-tone, to grossly exaggerate, mm-hmm. um, that mid-tone can look twice as bright if it's next to something dark or it can look twice as dark if it's next to something bright. And with an airbrush, you can take that, let's say we've got a yellow model, and I want to shade it with purple, which is an example I use a lot because I like the color combination. You've got this kind of yellowy, sandy model, and it goes up to a typical, like, uh, like bony highlight. If you want that highlight to look way, way, way brighter, rather than painting white on the edge of that highlight, you could just get out the purple or a blue or whatever you've chosen – Take your model, tilt it, and aim from the bottom and hit the bottom of panels if it's a 40K one or um, the bottom of organic volumes if it's a fantasy one. Then look at it, and from the front rather than from below or the top, that model looks like the bright bits are twice as bright just because you spent literally like 10 seconds in the bottom of it with a um with a darker color yeah, and you get sure. to introduce a nuance to it as well or a filter or an interest color or a spot color or you get to pull coherency from somewhere else in the model let's say it's got purple cape and you get to put that all over the model in about two minutes um in a really subtle way so um yeah that's kind of one of the most recent realizations for me is that the, like the airbrush does not stop um You can always go back, you can always add to it. And because it's not opaque and it doesn't put down hard, sharp lines, the capacity to go back in with it is far more than I think people realize. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it's definitely a a realization for me as well. So that's brilliant. So talking about another technique that you, um, again, you're very well known for, which is almost kind of what a lot of people consider an entry-level technique, which is dry brushing. So, when, yeah. would, when would you apply dry brushing to a, to a higher level?
2: Okay, so there is a hard and fast rule here and it's if your model is in plastic, it's allowed. And if your model isn't in plastic, you probably shouldn't consider doing this technique. Right. Um, now, this is a really very weird thing, but I'll, I'll explain the reasoning behind it. So, brief introduction to sculpting. However many years ago, people sculpted green stuff. They sculpted with <clears throat> um uh like FEMO, they sculpt with loads of um, actual physical, tangible, analog things. Um and part of the process of that is you, you sculpt a bit and you let it dry and then you do the next bit on top of it. <laughs> now, like back to reality in current day with CAD computer aided design and designing models like that, one of the processes that people have is they can go back and they can post-production models. So when something looks like it's finished. They can take a tool and they can raise every single lip on that model and this is one of the reasons why paintings got easier and models have got better and everyone can be a better painter or a faster painter or a more efficient painter sure. is they can take the lip of that armor um the uh, if you think of a nurgle model because um i've, I've painted plenty of plague bearers and stuff like that where it's got an open saw yummy uh, where it's got an open saw with some rib exposed or whatever that skin around that saw back in the day Um, It would have just it would have just been flat and it would have ended and then there would have been bone But what someone can do now is they can pull the edge of that up just a little bit And that'll mean a couple of things one if you wash it It will highlight itself because the very edge of it is artificially raised and exaggerated Um, Two, for exactly the same reason if you brush a brush over it gently dry brushing um, with not much paint on the brush again it' like it that bit sticks up, and dry brushing is based on texture, like the model does the work for you with dry brushing and if that model is doing way more work for you anyway because someone someone for their job as a professional we 'll talk about GW models here sure. um, who are at the very fucking top of their game because their sculptures are incredible if someone has specifically spent the final part of their model making sure that it is a joy to paint and it reacts well with washes and shades which are now in in every painter's arsenal Um, when you take out dry brushing which I think is one of the reasons why it it deserves a revival you can do incredible stuff incredibly fast because the model will do it for you so on the flip side if you've got an old model that's been sculpted in green stuff I'm not saying it doesn't work period but you will achieve much worse results and if you've got something with feathers or something like that the chances are you'll make it look shitter and like a pre ebay model um from from back in the day by using the technique however if you've got a frost you got a frost phoenix if you've got something with scales got anything like that which is games workshop new plastic and cad um then you can dry brush it and very very possibly you should dry brush it um because it will save you so much time. You can actually do stuff that you couldn't do with a brush. Like not many people have time to edge highlight every single feather. No,
0: um, that's a very e- good example.
2: Like, because like who, like, unless you're going to terry pike it and paint a lot of change that looks as exquisite as his does and then highlight every highlight, every highlight, um, which probably most people don't have the time or, or, or skill to do, um, you can get a brush to pretty much do that for you. But what I would say is that when you are dry brushing, Think of it in exactly the same way as painting. It's just the paint leaves the brush slightly differently. So you can have a base coat dry brush. Um, Most people call that over brushing, which is like a more wet dry brush, if you will. Uh, still absolutely valid as a technique. But um, you you can have like a darker one, a lighter one, a lighter one, a lighter one. Um, and then what goes particularly well with it is going back and shading in the recesses, or using an all-over wash to smoothen it because dry washing can look a little bit dry and chalky. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: so using that kind of all-over filter, again, I kind of mentioned them in the past, kind of tying up all this jumble of techniques and, and pulling them together for coherency, you can like i've got the Carl fans model i've got frost phoenixes they've all had this done on them um they're all dry brushing there's probably five stages of dry brushing on them and i've done them slower with less paint on your brush than you would do with a normal dry brush because it's i'm using it as a like a high-end dry brushing if you will um while you're doing that um you can get a really really nice variety and then a sharp edge highlight and you wash it all over and um And everything is pulled back together and it doesn't look so odd that you did dry brushing at the end stage of a model. You can still then get your brush and do a final, like a white or something Um, but it's like, wherever and whenever you can, if you want to do stuff faster, but um, also, at the same time take a little bit longer doing the dry brushing, um, I would say and have, have less paint on your brush than you think you need. You can always add more you can't, however, go in reverse if you've done a great big smear down
0: no i think we've all uh, seen we've all seen examples of bad dry brushing and like you say i think it's because it's been rushed
2: yeah 100% um dry brush across features never up and down them as well so if you think of you got a like a fence in front of you you should be going from left uh, with vertical slats of wood mm. you should be going left to right on that you should not be going up and down down the creases cuz you're there to catch the raised details. So you need to be at absolute 90 degree opposition to them. Um, I think people like, because it's not done as much as a technique anymore. It's not like introduced or led in white dwarf as much um, people. There's a lot of people who've heard of it and then quite rightly won't, won't have any idea about the application or yeah, actually, actually what you should do, how much paint should be on your brush, um, stuff like that. But yeah. Use it whenever you can. It's awesome and it's very very underused and the better models get, which they're just getting better and better in plastic anyway, um, the more it's a viable technique and also models are getting bigger.
0: <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, they really are. It's, it's definitely becoming much more viable. It was almost a, a dirty word really. You could see you could see people dry brushing space marines. You know the old you know original yeah. models, very very curvy surfaces and you know just looks shit. shit. Um, but yeah like you say with the model miniatures and the way that things are done now and you know using things like makeup makeup brushes rather than actual dry brushes so they're much softer they hold much less paint um yeah you can get some fantastic results
2: one final thing i'd say about it is get a small piece of scenery try it out on that first like something with bricks um like a, a in plastic like a tower or ruins or whatever get a games workshop one like save yourselves the hassle um Try it out on that, and try and think about in the same way you'd have stages one, two, three, four, and five of normal paints being base coat, sorry, undercoat, base coat, um, wash, highlight, blah blah blah. Take that approach, but do it with dry brushing, and just see what you get because it's like taking something with really sharp, obvious edges like bricks. It's a bit more um, obvious and slightly less worrying than doing it on something organic like muscles or feathers or something on a on a rounded model
0: definitely yeah no I i totally agree and i think that is a really good painting terrain in general particularly nowadays with the newer gw um rangers is a really good way of kind of getting back to grips with those kind of techniques i think that's a nice bit of advice so with while we need to kind of Take on board all this amazing information that Byron's giving us. If we uh, we take a short break and then we'll come back to kind of just talk around, you know, a bit of motivation and kind of what your goals are for the year going forward. All right, back in a minute. And we are back. So yeah, God, um, I feel like we should be charging you boys for this. If I'm honest. Um, all those lucky listeners out there, that I think some absolute gold um, spewing from Byron's luscious
2: lips. The, 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 the luscious... Well, I hope people enjoy my hobby vomit.
0: <laughs> hobby vomit. Okay. Is... <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, no, brilliant stuff. Um, but one of the things that I'm always keen to talk about is kind of what are your what are your motivations? What gets you sat down at your desk, hobbying, kind of painting? You know, what what is kind of your the environment you like to hobby in you know what what pushes you to to get shit done
2: yeah so like a lot of people deadlines push me to get stuff done whether they are self-imposed or tournaments or or whatever but um actually when i'm when i do when i'm doing my hobby in the way that i should when i'm doing it like journey over destination um that's proper nerdy reference there for anyone um, who's into Stormlight Archives. When I'm taking that approach um, I just I, I find it really peaceful. So I really like sitting down and listening to an audiobook or a podcast or whatever and um, just kind of uh, like doing something real and tangible that's not digital um, and, and is kind of old-fashioned and creative um i really like doing that but also i mean a lot of it for me is just it's like it's my mates on skype it's the lovely people i've met doing the hobby um and elect for whatever reason to spend their free time listening to me talk um on skype or like me talking to them or whatever so it's i've not done it so much recently um as in hobby hobby stuff. And that's, I think because I picked to paint an army at a level that is impractically high and that that's not me saying I'm the best fucking painter ever. That's just, I, I put in like the resource that went into my order army, which now irritatingly or, or or for better or for worse, I'm really enjoying playing with. Um, The resource I put into that was time. It wasn't a new strange technique it wasn't speed painting it wasn't anything but just like hours and hours and hours of um very very wearing uh blending so i'm trying to work out how to find a middle ground when i've set my bar where i have for for how something should look um and how like what technical level i should be proud of in of myself um and I'm trying to work out what the fuck I do <laughs> to take my hobby and to produce an army that is just it's just absolutely solid and it still looks great. So the process I'm going through at the moment, as far as trying to find motivation, um, which isn't to do with uh, the it's, it's an entire new army because I can't pick the army I've started because it's, it's take, it takes me in an unhealthy direction. <laughs> That makes right. sense. That might sound a bit a bit grandiose, but like literally, when when one cloak is five hours and you want to add thirty dudes, like ain't nobody got time for that shit. It's just an awful. <laughs> ain't
0: nobody got time for
2: that. Yeah, like, it's an awful idea, and that's just the cloak. Like yeah. that, that thats why the skin on my elves isn't as good as it should be. It's because my soul turned black and died, like at the point in which I finished the cloaks and the weapons. Um, so you started so, with so, higher
0: expectations but still managed to turn out something amazing, but something else, unfortunately, kind of had to... Not that I think the skin on your elves (laughs) does suffer, but, yeah, I (laughs) I mean, expectations definitely... Expectation of time,
2: really. It's just practical. Or, like, I want to add a Star Drake. Great, well, I'll see you in 2020. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, you you enjoy taking the piss out of Rob for this, but it is entirely true, and it's a... um, the point at which you do this you don't realise that actually you've made the rod for your own back because you are (laughs) a rod (laughs) so um (laughs) the rod for your own back so you've made it so you're going to be like you won't be able to live up to the standard that you've set yourselves you made it so it'll take forever you'll made it so you'll start a load of things you don't finish and um and that none of that fits with making your hobby enjoyable and completable and completable and enjoyable are often the same thing actually i think because you don't get to be proud of something until it is at least mostly finished so um what i'm trying to do at the moment is all the stuff that i've been talking about and preaching because i definitely don't practice what i preach (laughs) um i'm trying to put into working out how to make a exciting cool crowd pleasing byron pleasing um army that pushes me in new ways and the ways that i want to push myself None of them are to do with me bleeding hours and hours and hours and hours and hours into models. Mm-hmm. So I'm picking, like, low model count. I'm not allowed uh, models that aren't modern, because modern ones are easier to paint. Equally, I can't pick ones like Cinch, not because I, I have self-respect and I don't want to play the army, but um, <laughs> but because... <laughs> It's Ouch. a fucking joke, <laughs> but because
1: some of us, some some of us need those stabilizers, mate. Come on.
2: <laughs> oh god, I've like there's some articles I've been working on for a while, where if I produce them, it's about how to like how I build a list and how I consider an army, and, and basically the answer to this question. Um, and Skyfire just ruined everything to the extent where I had to just keep putting a star next to them and say ignore this unit. Um. <laughs> But anyway, um, so if you, um, you... You can't pick models like that even though they're modern, because there's just too much of to them. I mean, they are exquisite, but just because you can doesn't mean you should, and you do not... Like, you shouldn't put that much detail on a model. No.
0: Like,
2: yeah. And I, I was... That's one of the reasons I am so, like, like, over the moon drastically in love with the new Nurgle models, is because they've got a weapon, they've got flesh, and they've got bones and teeth, and that's fucking it. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I am like my motivations is, is like completion and pushing myself and new goals but my requirements for those motivations are that I approach things in a way which is sustainable it sounds very like over the top as a way of looking at it but it's it's entirely true it's, almost like, so, a, it's
0: like, almost like a business continuity plan for a business going forward, right? I was, I was just like,
1: about to say, you're applying for a fucking grant, are you? Well, <laughs> no, I think yeah.
0: all, I think a lot of those, managing a business is not overly dissimilar to managing a fucking no, hobby. No, 100 yeah.
2: Or managing your own life or your own happiness or your own satisfaction whatever I mean everything in the world is pretty much the same like motivations are the same efforts the same um time is the same whether it's in a business or free time or with family or, or whatever um and like being obsessive and turning things into equations is, is how I am as a person so <laughs> I've just got to kind of accept that and roll with it but um kind of to, to take my motivations to paint into hobby as well as um uh, having like new things to share with my best friends in like my favorite places on the weekends when I get to go and and hobby or the times when I'm painting in the evening is um it's kind of it's it's completing things and I guess that would that probably rolls into the next question about what my goals are for the year because I've set myself the goals of like sustainable enjoyable new hobby um and also like you, you guys have sucked my cock plenty, so I'll be a gentleman and <laughs> return it. Um, listening to your guys' podcast has, for some wholesome reasons and some unwholesome reasons, made me want to remind people that actually I can do it like I can do things that aren't just bleeding time into models. So I would like people to say like "fuck," that's a good conversion because sure. I tend to I tend to convert in a way that people don't notice unless they know the original model, which
0: is the best. Conversions, but the least
2: rewarding. Sometimes, that's how, that's yeah, how hard yeah, entirely I to find them. Yeah, and people don't even say where did you get that model, uh, or what models that they just look at it and like it doesn't it doesn't go in any deeper than a, like a visual like oh that's a model. Um, so the only the only way to make sure that people know is to do something so large and stupid and in your face that like like and crass that um <laughs> <laughs> that people have. Hey, you're, my, you're my hero for this reason. Um, Is that people have no option but to be like, well, obviously Archeon doesn't have twelve wings, so that's conversion. So um, I, I like. There's like I find it upsetting when people talk about uh, my army next to other armies when it's being judged for painting, and people say about the other armies having good freehand. Like it does my nut in, and it really I find it soul destroying because I think the freehands one of the best bits on my armies. Equally, oh, so and,
0: are they not transfers? Never no, not that oh, right. no, Sorry, I didn't realize that. <laughs> um, but no, the, the reason why I say that is because that <clears throat> sometimes you genuinely get people going, oh my God, that free hand's amazing. And then I'll be stood there going, that's no, a transfer.
2: Yeah, he just used Microsoft or microset and yeah, every well, single shoulder has the same thing on it.
0: All they've done it and then they've highlighted it around, but you, but you can if you've done it, you understand and you can see it, but people are so used to transfers being this slightly crinkled, shiny thing on a shoulder yeah. pad that <laughs> you've got to the point where that's not a thing anymore. So there's, there's a big crossover yeah. there now.
2: I'm saying, I mean, there's definitely a skill term as well. I still can't use them very well. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so I, I want like, I, like I said, like that's the selfish, like kind of unwholesome part is I want, I'd like to get some recognition for my ability to convert and to do stuff. Um, that isn't like oh that cloak is smooth. Um, sweet cloak, bro. Yeah, sweet cloaks. Um, I would like to have like sweet massive dragon as well, and I'm mean, like a big one. So I wouldn't, I
1: wouldn't. I wouldn't say my conversions are crass,
0: but you know, no, I, they are conversions. <laughs> they are. They're not off the wall, but they are. They're they're striking.
2: They're, they're striking. I don't mean crass in application. <laughs> I mean in terms of the obviousness of like like people know that yours is not a stock model and that's not because it's a shitly done conversion far from it it's just because nothing that big or mental like they know nothing that big or mental is in games workshops repertoire currently so um as far as people in the tournament scene anyway so if you get someone who's new to the hobby they might they might go into their games workshop with a picture of your model and say where do i buy this um but as far as people at the tournament scene they will see yours and they will know like fuck that's a lot of work and If I didn't know that it wasn't a model, I think it was a model. Therefore, it's done really technically well and beautifully as well. So. You
1: know, Byron, Byron, you've just, you've not only, it's like a a double edged sword, then. Not only have you, it was a a lovely comment, but the word currently is a bit of a trigger because I swear they've got some sort of. Every time I do a nice conversion, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm waiting for a Demon Prince version of Abaddon <laughs> that looks exactly like my Bellicor. Now you do realise like that, that.
2: happens, you put it on a massive base so people know how special you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, I would, I would like to do that, and I want to do it in a way that, um, like, I want to have an army that people can't not look at, can't not consider, at least consider for best painted, and one that is. Um, is very very different from anything that I've got currently. So it can't be red like my Death. or it can't be red and black and white like my Death. And it can't be turquoise and black and white like my Order. And it can't be kind of mishmash yellow and green like my Destruction. So, I mean, the faction I'm left with there, because I've listed three out of four, the faction I'm left with is Chaos, and the colours I'm left with are yellow, basically. So, um, Ooh, I look a bit yellow. I love Ooh. yellow. And I love yeah. shade. As I've mentioned so um, absolutely nuts in your face, heavily, heavily converted, low model count, um, striking yellow Nurgle is is my hobby goal for this year that I would like to output.
0: I approve wholeheartedly. Approve. Um, well, I think we'll have to. Yeah, we going to we'll be... have to um, do some
1: uh, conversion kit bash, whatever you want to call them, Skype sessions if you want, Byron. Uh,
2: I'll be well oh, up for that i love that. It's um I've forgotten how long it takes to do things properly. <laughs> like <laughs> the bits of a model yesterday. Um so like it's it's not much of a spoiler, I'm sure I'll share pictures with them um, with like the public at some point. But um I'm taking Archeon's wings and I'm trying to make this big hovering horrible nuggly version of him using that abdomen from an Arachnarch or or thorax or whatever it is like the belly and below. Um Very Nice. Taking that, and so I want I want something to look like it could fly. So its model can't be it's like the, the body of the model can't be massive. But I want it to look really like organic and um, well, feckulent and um, disgusting.
1: I've, I've, I'll soon soon be having some spare Mortarian wings if you're interested.
2: I'll have to see. So I'll um, I'll send you a picture of, uh, of where I'm at with it now, but yesterday I got Archeon, I glued together different bits of him separately and I just realised how long it takes. I got to glue them together separately because I can't put all the model together because then I'd have to chop it apart again okay. to glue them together separately i'll then have to doctor each of those bits in its own right so smooth the gaps and and stuff like that and then i've got to like blue tack spooge in together and see what will work work out what bits need to fill the gaps of which there's many still don't know what head it's going to have um it's horribly time consuming it's so much more relaxing just to buy a model and paint
0: <laughs> well yeah and also as, as an outside observer to that imagine going through that whole process and taking photos every day and sharing that with people in your group chat because that's what we get with rob in it rob
1: well i can i can stop at any time <laughs> if you
0: <want> <laughs> no we love it really we love it. so your, um, your your big conversion so what are you doing for the drill arms for your sweet pokemon b drill
2: i have no idea the iraq ones are pointy, and his his body would be front facing already but I think I might look into the Tyranid range as well and see if there's if there's anything there. I mean, I'm saying this, it, it may well not happen because I might realise just how much effort it's going to take, or I might, like, I I should enjoy playing with the army. One of the reasons for having a practice game recently, like a game outside of a tournament, was <coughs> to to give Tom, I know, was to give Tom Wadsley uh, some practice with the new Nurgle and for me to see what the new Nurgle's like. And it's interesting, and they're varied, and they're cool. Yeah. Um, they're a very good cook. So I think there, there's a lot of scope there for for future enjoyment so i like i've qualified for the finals um so if i got a ticket for heats two or three because heat three is mm-hmm. miles it might be that i could just go there and chill out and take a not a derpy list but um well actually no it would be um like to, to take a like a yellow derpy list and see what happens if i take like Archion and seven friends and some plague bearers sure. and then Push it around the table in yellow.
1: Pretty really much what my army is going to be. Um, I was going to say, if, if you want, um, also unsurprisingly, I've got some Tyrannid
0: arms you <laughs> can <back> like as well. <laughs> what are you here, You're lo- you launching that bits shop anytime soon, Rob? <laughs> yeah, I could, I could potentially, yeah. Um, but what I will say is going forward, it'd be great to, I think, um, particularly with that army, it'd be awesome to get you back on, um, you know, a little bit down the road to kind of cover how how all that came together from like your initial thoughts now so it'd be really great to get you back on Thanks for that me. um but to speaking be honest, about
2: business plans you can hold me culpable for my <laughs> lack of work so this way i've got someone to answer to
0: yeah no that's, that's answer that's it answer to us that's fine um but we may well also catch up to you and catch up with you in the meantime as well because i think there's a lot more we could we can kind of talk about as well um, and that you've been giving us a fucking awesome insight um, into a few different techniques and there's definitely that I know there's four things straight off the bat that I'm going to try out so people definitely should be taking something away from this and I've learned a lot from you in the past so that's fucking brilliant mate awesome
2: thank you so much I'm uh well I hope it's I hope it's helpful to people if people have any questions about specific things or whatever do um do send them my way that'd be at facehammer underscore on twitter or um
1: slide into your DMs
2: yeah or uh or Matt can can send them to me or forward them to me or whatever.
0: Yeah, whack them over, guys, and I'll I'll definitely pass them on to Byron if you're not Twitter Twitter savvy. Um, What I would like to say is, before we go, um, if you are enjoying the podcast something that really helps us at the moment is iTunes reviews I'm just doing a little push to get a few on there the reason for this is purely because um, once we start getting rated on there it means that we start appearing on more searches when people start searching for Warhammer and a hobby podcast it simply gets more people listening to us so if you like what we're putting out and um, you, you kind of want to want to acknowledge that a little bit a review goes a real 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 long way so um, it's the only thing I want to kind of beg or plead for this episode but iTunes reviews would be fantastic if anyone has the time to do them uh, Rob any final words before we go to fucking bed it's really late
1: no I'm good thank you for coming on Byron and um, hope I mean well not hope people would have found it uh, entertaining and informative so it's been great
2: definitely, definitely. thank you it's been a pleasure you uh, thank you for the nice things you've said in the past about me <laughs> as well as the podcast it does uh, it does help me it does help to reawaken my uh, my hobby enthusiasm in times when it's low it's yeah. very very and it's appreciated
0: and it's something somebody said on twitter again this week as well echoed what i said last episode is that you know if, if you are liking something somebody's doing i think it's too easy at the moment on social media just to hit that like button and kind of move on but if you like something and you can see something specific you like about a paint job or anything say something because that little bit of positive feedback can make a difference between someone picking up the paintbrush for another half an hour or an hour or a session and then putting something off for a week so yeah i'd like to kind of 100%. grow that environment you see something you like tell them and you know people will keep or
2: doing more for positivity yeah, let's make this 100%. hobby a, a nice place for uh rewarding positives rather than deploring yeah. negatives because people need to get over their shit
0: yeah it's too easy for something negative to happen and that's where it all explodes into a, a conversation about something about proxies has been one quite a, a topic obviously we covered last episode which is it always comes with a negative connotation which people are very keen to talk about but let's let's talk about the positive side of things you know let's keep yeah. it going but no, fantastic. Thanks again, chaps. Thanks for coming on. It's episode six all wrapped up in the bag. Next episode, we'll be back to the regular um, three-person schedule. And I'm going to be having a Chris of some form or another on for the next kind of interview episode. So thanks again, guys.
2: An awesome. An absolute pleasure. Taco,
0: taco. Bye. Taco, taco. That's bye from me. It's goodbye from Byron. And it's goodbye from Rob. Good night. <laughs>